Instead of syncing your phone with iTunes, downloading an MP3 into your mobile device, you can stream episodes of MTR with the Stitcher Smart Radio app. Stitcher allows you to listen to MyTake Radio via your 4G, 3G, or Wi-Fi connections. Downloading it is quick and easy. Head over to stitcher.com forward slash MyTake, and you'll even be eligible to win some money. Enter MyTake, all one word, in the promo box, and you'll be eligible to win $100, courtesy of MyTake Radio and Stitcher. MTR Live starts right now. You're a mean one. Mr. Grinch, you really are a heel. You're as cuddly as a cactus, you're as charming as an eel, Mr. Grinch. You're a bad banana with a greasy black peel. What's going on, folks? My Take Radio episode 166. For Thursday, December 13th, 2012. Our call-in number is 347-324-3541. Again, that call-in number is 347-324-3541. You can also hit up our feedback line. That's 347-815-0687. 347-815-0MTR. All right, let's get into a couple of things that we got to discuss before we get into this week's MMA segment. Uh, First up, uh, last week, like I said, my sister went under the knife for surgery. I figured I'd give you guys an update. She's doing very well. Uh, She's on antibiotics. And uh, before those of you think that she had to have like a third arm or something crazy removed, that actually is not the case. It seems that at some point within the last couple of months or maybe sooner than that, uh, she broke a tooth. Strangely enough, I found out that the tooth got broken because my brother bought her some Anbisol for the tooth pain. And, you know, instead of telling me that the kid's tooth was hurting. Nonetheless, turns out that the tooth broke and the gum grew over the tooth, pretty much covering the whole tooth. And she had developed an infection underneath in her jaw, which was obviously causing a lot of pain and discomfort. Um, When she went to the doctor that Thursday, they said that the tooth had to come out and they had to do surgery into her jaw area. So turns out they um, made an incision in her jaw to, you know, cut out the infection, remove the nerve and also remove the tooth, at which point they also cut some of her gum out as well. Uh, Very long and tedious day. Uh, My day started there at 830 in the morning. I sat there till, I don't know, 10.30 without being seen yet. At 10.30, she went in, got x-rayed, was seen by the doctor, you know, pre-surgical testing, sat there for another hour when, and they called her in at around 11.30, and she was in surgery for about an hour, and I brought her home. She was groggy, definitely fucked up, obviously, but, um, you know, she's on antibiotics to get rid of any residual remnants of the infection you know most of the swelling in her jawbone has gone down what the big concern was the fact that the if the infection wasn't caught quick enough that the it would spread through her jaw at which point she'd need to be hospitalized and when you're dealing with a kid who you know is for all intents and purposes you know has special needs and is nonverbal or semi-verbal and they lose access to that particular skill it concerns me 
I was also concerned because my sister suffers from seizures and we've never really figured out where her first and only seizure came from. So anything that could have triggered it had me on uh, pins and needles. That's that. That's a good term to use. Had me on pins and needles for the majority of you know most of the week. So needless to say, things are better. But I figured I'd give you guys the update regarding that. As for the show, this may or may not be the last show of 2012. Now, no, it is not because of the apocalypse that's supposed to happen next Friday. I mean, whatever. If I did a show on the 20th and the world ended the 21st, I think it would be a fitting way to go. But actually, I really am going to do it most likely because next week, you know, it's right before Christmas. There's got to be some Christmas shopping done, a couple of things happening that Thursday. And then doing a show post-Christmas is pretty much recycling shit that probably isn't even going to happen. You know, it's a blip on the radar that those last few days, everybody kind of phones it in. And honest to God, folks, I'm just fucking burned out. I, I have I have no problem saying it because I am confident in my work and what I do, whether it's the show or the site or whatever, but just, just burn the fuck out. You know, trying to get content up, trying to you know, manage staff, take care of stuff, book guests, manage all the social media aspects, do all the audio, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It gets very, very, very taxing. So I may give myself a mini vacation. And um, if I do, great. If I don't, then you guys will hear me probably next Wednesday if all things go according to plan. So that's the update with regards to that. We got a ton of new content up. Of course, there's a lot. There's a bunch of new posts up on the site regarding all the new trailers that came out this week. Superman, which was awesome. Pacific Rim, which was great. Um, we also had Oblivion with Tom Cruise, which I'm 50-50 on. And we also had After Earth with Will and Jaden Smith, which is also 50-50 at the moment. But a lot of great trailers. Make sure to check that out. Uh, we shared our our top five Christmas movies amongst the staff. We got a lot of great choices in there. A lot of, a lot of great classics, a lot of which I've seen so far, you know, here we are 13 days into December and a lot of the movies on the list I've seen in, um, in some shape or form, either I saw it earlier in the month or I've seen it on Netflix because for as much as I like to acknowledge how I like the Grinch and how I love the holidays, it, it it's, it's a double-edged sword for me only because the holidays have, have kind of lost meaning for multiple reasons. And obviously I don't want to dig into my whole sad sob story. Cause that's not what you guys tune into, into uh, you guys don't tune into the show to hear that. You know, I, th- this isn't my therapy session, but nonetheless, um, you know, I don't hate Christmas. I just think it's lost meaning for me as, as an individual, but um, there's going to be a ton of stuff until then, you know, and, throughout the holidays we're not going to stop doing stuff on the site so you're going to see tons of posts tons of content um hopefully i will be picking up an ipad mini now before you guys ask yourselves hey don't you have an ipad already yes but i travel with my ipad often for multiple reasons whether it's for show work or for personal use and i've realized that carrying an slr camera and an ipad becomes very cumbersome plus the mini ipad just it's a it's a little bit more user friendly i can toss it into any bag that I need without having to worry about stuff. So I'm probably going to be doing the switch to the mini iPad within the next two weeks. Of course, I will be doing a walkthrough 
and a review for the site. And I'm also going to be making the jump probably to the Galaxy Note from Samsung. So there'll be a review for that as well. We also got some stuff for the YouTube channel. It's just that YouTube is such a cumbersome piece of shit when it comes to uploading videos. So things have been a little slow. I've been posting the shows on YouTube. I'm a little bit behind with regards to that as well. But you'll be seeing a lot of that stuff over the holiday break. Also, let's get into what we're going to talk about tonight. Ben's going to be joining us to talk a little bit of MMA. We got a lot to discuss regarding that. Um, Also, we have a lot of wrestling stuff. We have one TNA pay-per-view. We have Raw. And I want to talk a little bit about Impact. We got some good gaming news going into the month of December, including November's MPD numbers. And, of course, we have our entertainment segment. So, all in all, there is much to discuss. So, with that said... Let's not beat beat around the bush. Obviously, there is no monologue for this week since clearly updating you on what's going on in my personal life and the show is uh, pretty much the monologue as a whole. So let's discuss some MMA. So before I get into the UFC card, which I'm sure Ben is going to call in for, and some of the MMA news for this week, I did want to talk about a couple of things I've noticed regarding the sport that that have been have been very, very interesting to say the least. And that's pretty much the the evolution of the sport, not only from an entertainment standpoint and from a sporting standpoint, but also from a brand standpoint. I'm starting to see more MMA themed stuff in the general public, whether it's more Under Armour stuff contributing to that i've also heard things about a nike mma brand dropping in the new year a couple of people i heard i overheard in the uh, dick sporting goods here in new york city we're talking about uh, a section that's going to have some nike stuff rash guards things like that nothing too crazy and also i uh, i've actually been very very impressed with the resurgence of bellator bellator has been doing a really really great job of promoting their events um, promoting their personalities, some of them. I mean, what they did with War Machine and a couple of guys I'm not too cool with, but just in terms of presentation, they've improved greatly, and I expect that to continue going forth into 2013 and then moving to Spike. One thing I am very excited about, and it's become a tradition every year, especially now that I have HDNet, or, well, now known as Access, is the Dream Card, the New Year's Eve MMA cards that are put on every year last year. I had the pleasure of watching that card with my nephew and he got to see the different facets of martial arts and combat sports in Japan. We got to see some catch wrestling. We got to see some Muay Thai. We got to see some mixed martial arts and it's something that's just, it's great to watch. I have no problem sitting there and watching four or five hours of that card with um, zero reservations. This year it's going to be good because, you know, you have Dream doing some stuff. You also have Glory involved as well so we're going to see a lot of mma we're going to see some great muay thai fights hopefully we get one or two catch wrestling freak show wrestling matches to round things out but i am thoroughly thoroughly pumped for that coming up at the end of the year on the 31st into the first and um i'm just i'm just happy for the sport i'm glad to see it grow so much in this past year going into 2013 there's a lot of great things that i'm really really looking forward to and i'm actually going to discuss some of that with ben I'm going to bring him on right now because we got a lot to discuss on the Fox card. 
Ben, what's going on, dude? Not much. What's up, man? Not much. We got this um, UFC on Fox card, which in your in your article you pretty much uh, gave it the moniker of the best UFC card of the year. And honestly, that's very very difficult to dispute, considering that every car, every fight on that card was exciting. It delivered, whether it delivered a finish or it was just a competitive fight, it was probably one of the definitely one of the top cards of the year. And I want to just um, pluck out a couple of matches and, you know, we can discuss them. Of course, I want to talk about Nam Fan, Dennis Seaver. A lot of people were saying Nam Fan pulled the, the run around the Octagon card for this fight, which is strange considering how competitive of a fighter Nam Fan is. But it seems to be the general consensus. I thought the fight was okay. I, I definitely didn't think that he engaged as he should have. And Seaver definitely took every round. On the contrary, I think in round three, I kind of felt it was even a 10-8 round. Just because Fan, not not the the style that he usually fights. True. Um, I thought it was, I mean, I, I, I thought, I, I don't know about running around the octagon. I think he was just getting his ass whooped for three rounds. Like, I don't think his intent was to run around. Yeah, it kind of looked that way, doing. you know? Like, it, yeah, like he really... It became apparent really early, like in the stand-up, like he wasn't going to get in enough on Seaver to hurt him. Like Man Fan's whole game is the boxing, and Dennis Seaver had him beat there. He took him down and beat him up there, and in the third round, that was that was probably a ten-eight round. I mean, I mean that that Dennis Seaver looked really good at one forty-five. I don't think you know I don't think he's going to win a title or anything, but he looks really good um, compared to what he looked at one fifty-five. So um, it, it was a fun fight to watch. Yeah, the 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 fight that that blew me out of the water initially was that John Albert Jorgensen fight because I expected you know a little little feeling out process something we didn't get shit. <laughs> yeah, that was that was uh, that was crazy. Like for John Albert to be having in I think a triangle, like and for Scott Jorgensen to get that uh that choke with I, probably like a tenth of a second left. Yeah, it was that, it was that was crazy. It was nasty, and, you know, he got himself a nice bonus. I want to also got to bring up the debut of Abel Trujillo, who looked ridiculous in that fight. Definitely a a great welcome into the UFC for him, uh, securing his victory via TKO. It was was just nasty. That knee to the body crumpled that guy. Yeah, that's exactly what dudes should do to dudes that are coming at them with that lame-ass single leg takedown. Like, if you, you can't get me down, so you're just going to press me up against the cage. Nah, I'm elbowing you to your body, to the side of your head, I'm kneeing you in the gut. Like, that's exactly how they should be treated. If you if you want to come with that lame-ass offense, you should be treated just like that, just mauled. Because he, he, that was, that was, that was violent. <laughs> I was bummed with the, uh, with the Mike Easton fight. I was, I was pulling for him um, against Asun Kao, but uh, obviously, no, Definitely was not his night, man. I didn't fare well with the fight picks this card. I was pissed. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't do. I mean, I, I didn't do. I did okay on the prelims, like when I, when I was just going through picking on the prelims. Uh, the main card, eh, no one fight on the main card. Well, two fights on the main card for me, but uh, for the most part, like the the, the the prelims. I mean, I didn't take that fight because I thought Mike Easton would be able to beat the Sun Sao. But the Sun Sao came with a, a pretty good game plan. Uh, he he. He flurried on Mike Easton and, and didn't let Mike Easton set and, and set up anything. So he, he did a really good job in that fight. 
Yeah, especially Mike Easton. He's he's such a fast guy, and you know, taking what you said, it's it's true. He didn't give him a chance to set up. You know, Mike Easton. He kind of does that feeling out process first, gets a little warm, and then goes to work. That definitely was not the case this time. Yeah, he never got an opportunity to to get a rhythm uh, to start doing what he what he he does. So, I mean, this is his first loss in I believe like eight fights or something like that. So. He'll be all right. He'll he'll be back. But um, you know, so I thought I had a really good strategy to win that fight. Well, we finally got the 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 very very jinxed Eve Edwards uh, Jeremy Stevens fight, and Eve Edwards definitely was not happy for waiting for this to wait for this fight because he came in there and he was not trying to get paid by the hour. It was lights out. Yeah, that's the first time that Jeremy Stevens has been knocked out in the UFC. Yep. That might have been the first time I ever seen him got rocked in the UFC. That was that was that was a real veteran move. Like Jeremy Stevens, what Jeremy Stevens is really good at is uh, throwing haymakers. Uh, yep. There's been multiple fights where he's getting his ass whooped and he just throws a crazy haymaker and wins. He's like Scott I mean, Smith. Dudes that, yeah, dudes that have shown that they can just out technical him have won. Donald Cerrone beat his ass because I mean he out technical him and Eve Edwards did a beautiful job of like catching him with that left hook flush because Jeremy Steven loads up on every single punch like I mean that you don't see the dudes that are really good strikers load up on every single punch and Eve Edwards showed that in that fight and not Jeremy Stevens out so well you know it was funny Stevens went in with that jumping knee and I was like all right that's kind of, I was like that was a nice that was a nice little move on his part but when he just got dropped I was like oh shit because he just you know what happens yeah, you you know when you play Duck Hunt on Nintendo and you shoot the duck and he just spirals down as he falls? That's pretty much what happened. He yeah. went in for that jumping knee and he just got shot. Yeah, man. I mean, you sleep on these veterans, man. He's Edwards has been around a long, long time. He he knows the game. So, <laughs> he's been around a while. He was, he was, he was the first real, well, I mean, I, I thought he should have been the very first uh, lightweight champion. But, you know, back back before they got rid of the division. Yeah, E. Rivers has been around a while. He he knows what he's doing. Yeah, he definitely knows. I was I was torn between Matt Brown and Mike Swick, which also had a nice uh, vicious KO. Just because I'm a, I'm a fan of both guys, I feel Matt Brown severely underrated in the UFC. Like it always feels like he gets in there, and they always say, "Oh, you know, he's he's good and whatnot," but he doesn't get the props that he deserves at one at you know at 170. Swick is always game. It, you know, when I when I heard this fight was being put together, I said, "Yeah, somebody's going to sleep." It's just it's just a matter of who strikes first. Clearly, Matt Brown struck first, and I think he's making a solid case for himself at well at welterweight right now. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Mike Swick, his, his whole thing is he's a gritty uh, type of fighter. Like he he's coming at you. He, he he doesn't really give a fuck about your offense. He's coming at you to do his thing. I mean, he's. He's not going to beat, like, the really high-level welterweights. Like, he's not going to beat those guys. But the guys, like, right outside of the top ten, like, he's not somebody that you want to fight. Like, he, he just – he does an excellent job of of just being gritty. And then that, that punch he landed on Mike Swick was nasty. I mean, Mike Swick was like he got shot. Like, that was just – that was nasty. Yeah, well, you know, what was funny. When he caught him, it was – um he, he swung with the left hook. And then he kind of grazed him, and then that straight right, it was it was nasty. 
And it's crazy because, again, like I said, Matt Brown is a guy, he comes in there, he always gives us good fights, but it almost feels like the way he's looked at isn't as a guy that can make a bit as big of an impact as he has. You know, another guy coming out of the Ultimate Fighter, you you know the deal. Wash, rinse, and repeat yeah. with these guys. Yeah. I mean, you know, he, he's, he's a good, he's a good, solid welterweight. He deserves to be in the UFC. Got a nice little win streak going. Don't think he'll ever be a champion. I don't even think he'll ever contend for a title, but he, he's, he's good. He puts on entertaining fights. And what they had him on the Fox show is exactly what you need, guys like that. Very first fight to get some good violence going. If you had, if you had to pick a, an, a, an opponent for Brown next, who would you pick at 170? Um, uh, because, because we're going to talk about him next, because Roy McDonald won't ever fight GSP, and <laughs> I, I just would like to see, I like watching Roy McDonald hurt people, like, I just want, I just want to watch Roy McDonald and, like, Matt Brown fight. I, I really can't think of, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe C.R. Badahar, or C.R. the Killer, I can't, I can't say his name. Yeah, his name is... His name is like yeah, uh, here. Eat these syllables, um, but yeah. um, see, see how to kill it. Maybe him. Um, maybe maybe. Uh, is it wrong for me to say? Um, yeah. You know, have him. I mean, he's gonna hang around at one seventy, but I I wouldn't mind a, a Matt Brown if you really want to test him. Josh Koscheck fight. I mean, Josh Koscheck doesn't is gonna need a fight when he comes back because I don't think he's fought in like a year. Yep. So. Yeah, I mean, that would be a pretty good fight, too. I mean, That'd be a I would, good fight. I would, I would like to see what Josh Koscheck could do, you know? Yeah, well, Koscheck is talking about, you know, I want to come back and fight Rory McDonald. It's like, dude, come on, stop, stop. Stop yeah, you're, it. You're not about to fight Rory No, it's like, it's like, dude, it's like, dude, you have a guy that's maybe knocking on, on, the, on a championship opportunity's door with his next fight or two. Because I think, I think Dana, Dana being the evil genius, he may say that if McDonald beats Condit, he'll get a title shot. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, Roy McDonald's not fighting GSP. Like, there's, there's a difference between being teammates and, like, fighting your straight-up idol. Like, I don't think he would fight GSP. Yeah, but he said BJ now, Penn was his idol. He fought him. <laughs> Let's be real. Come yeah, on. Yeah, but he doesn't train. Like, he lives with GSP. Like, he's lived and trained and all this other stuff with GSP. Like, I, I just don't see him fighting GSP. Like, GSP... I don't think he was in his corner for this fight, but he was in his corner. What fight was it? His fight before this, like uh, the Chain Mills fight, he was in his corner. Like, well, I'm not. I just, I just don't think he'll ever fight GSP. I'm not. You know, I'm not disputing that there's you know the history there and stuff. But all, all, all that aside, dude, it's like these guys every time. I don't want to fight this guy. He's my best friend. I don't want to fight this guy. He's my roommate. I want to. It's like, yo, this is a sport where it's one. On one, and yeah, I understand exactly what you're saying, and you have an infinite number of valid points. But let's be real: if Rory McDonald beats Carlos Condit, and 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 Dana White tells him, "All right, you're gonna fight for the belt," then that then that's it. Move out of the move out of GSP's house for 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 a year or six months, you know, and get in the mindset and go in there and do work. That's the shit that I mean, annoys me. I agree me. with you. Like, sh- I agree with you, and I, and I understand like a lot of fans. Like it doesn't bother me as much uh, people not fighting each other, just because the divisions have gotten flushed out so much that it doesn't 
take away from anything really when these dudes don't fight each other most of the time. Right, but when it but, comes to title like, fights, like, yeah, like w- with that fight, I mean, I I would like to see it just because I would love to see if GSP could like do what GSP does against Roy McDonald. Right, but like it's just it just. Roy McDonald has said that he will avoid GSP so much that he will go to 185, which I actually think he would do good at 185 because he's huge. Like, Roy McDonald walks around like 210 pounds. Like, he's freaking huge. But, uh, like, he he just said he won't fight GSP. And if – I know GSP is not fighting Anderson, but if he had actually went about doing that, that would have worked out. But, you know, I mean – Honestly, I between you and I, if GSP gets past Nick Diaz – Maybe, maybe you give him this dude with the beard just because clearly he's tight and he wants a fight. But once G- if GSP beats both those guys, dude, just go up to 85 and, 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 and start over. What's he yeah, going to do? Mean, uh, you know, fight, fight the same four guys? You know, Rory McDonald, what's Rory McDonald going to do? Go up to 85? What if GSP decides to go up to 80? You know what I mean? This constant chase, that shit gets old. It's like you are here to fucking fight. Yeah, like at some point, I think GSP will go to one eighty five. I don't think. I, I think if he beats Nick Diaz and then he beats, which I think he will beat Nick Diaz, and we'll, we'll get into why I think that, particularly, <laughs> especially considering how his brother, what happened to his brother. But like, I, I think GSP will beat Nick Diaz. Like, if he beats him and then beats Johnny Hendricks, which I also think he can beat. Like, I, I just, I just don't see GSP sticking around one seventy because it's. it's at that point, he's clearly playing out of division. And it's Jake repetitive fights. Like, yeah, like there's no one else that he hasn't beat in the division that matters. Like, right. that's, that's, like, like after Johnny Hendricks, who I, I think would have a legitimate shot to beat him, I don't think he would. But Unless... Him, you know, Go ahead. Uh, yeah, there's, there's no one else in the division even, like, fucking with GSP, like anyone near that level. So they might as well just move up. But I don't know, he... He, and I understand completely why he has, wants no part of Anderson Silva. Like, and I understand it completely. And I don't think it's fear. I think it's more like if I lose to this dude and move up, like I'm stuck at 185. Because like I, I, what GSP wants to do is put on a muscle and become a, a 185. Like if he moves up and then loses, you're stuck there. Like you're, you're stuck at 185, and that can really tarnish, you know, legacy. tarnish your legacy. No, I yeah, understand. Like, tarnish your legacy. So I completely understand why he's. It, like I know, I've heard people say, "Oh, he's ducking GS uh, Anderson." I don't think it's ducking. It's thinking more. It's thinking in the terms of this is a sport, and I'm getting towards the point of my career where it's going to become, this is my legacy now. Like I'm, I'm at the point of my career. Like I'm not fighting to to be the best, or I'm not fighting to be like a champion. I'm fighting to maintain my legacy at this point in your career. And well, that's what Anderson um, is doing. Yeah, same thing with Anderson. Anderson is not. Anderson's picking and choosing opponents because one he can, yep. and two he he's fighting for his legacy. Like that's just, that's that's the point that both these dudes are in in their career, and and probably within the next year or two, just same point that John John Jones will be. So I mean, people have to realize like in a sport like this, it, it'll never get as bad as boxing. It'll never get as bad as boxing where dudes are straight up not fighting each other ever. Like we got Pacquiao who just got knocked the fuck out, and and Floyd Mayweather just avoiding the shit out of each other. Like you're never going to get that. But you're going to start getting more fighters that are being thinking more like athletes than just I'm going out to fight anybody. Like they're thinking more like, well, my sponsor, I, I need to fight this dude 
not because it's an easier fight, but I need to, this dude, I'm not going to take this fight that's going to be risky for me because there's no incentive to do so anymore. Right. Like, you're, you're just not, you're, that warrior thing, like, people, and I know fans hate to hear it, but, like, that warrior mentality isn't real for these guys anymore. Like, it's not, it's, this ain't pride. You're, you're getting, there's so much money in this now, like, that warrior mentality is gone with, with all the money that's in this sport. Well, the one thing I, I did have to say, and we were talking about GSP's fights, we also have to take into consideration the possibility of requiring fights to unify the strike force and UFC belts. That too. That's See, also in the, the cards. The only thing with that is, the only thing with that is, I, first of all, I think Nathan Marquardt will be the dude that, that comes into the UFC as a World War champion. I'm 100% sure he's also not going to get in to fight with GSP. Like, I, I think that with Nate Marquardt, you're going to have to, He's gonna to have to fight somebody else first, but um, which is bullshit, dude. Because it's like, dude, a belt's a belt. See, but the thing is, the like thing when is they unified the pride in the UFC belt, Carlos you know, Condit had a belt when he first came to the UFC too, though. Carlos Condit was the welterweight champion at WC when he came to the UFC. Like, he doesn't have like Gilbert Lindez is universally known as possibly the best lightweight in the world. Like, point blank period. Like, he's universally known as he might be better than Mendes. I mean, we won't know until they actually fight, which they now will a foregone but, um, conclusion <laughs> um, huh that's a is foregone that... conclusion you know that shit is coming <laughs> yeah like they're going to fight at some point and then we'll know for sure but like the rest of the champions don't have that same cachet like you like are really are really people really calling for an answer silver versus luke Rocco, right like, do people actually think Luke Rocco is going to do anything to Anderson Silva except getting embarrassed? No, I, I, that I that I agree. Like, no, I I agree. But you yeah, know like, what it is? It it's yeah. a it's a that's a card in itself from a from a business standpoint. Champions versus oh, champions. Oh. Like I said, you know, do the do the champions card. Boom, all the belts. Everybody's on the line. Unify them all in one shot, and then what? You can Dana White can enjoy the gloating of having the pound-for-pound best fighters in the world. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think it's some, at, at least the lightweight belt is going to get unified. At yep. least, and, I, and as Nate Marquardt goes out and just, like, destroys Tyrex Safadine in January, then his, his belt might get... But if he has, like, a tough nick and tuck fight with him, he, his belt's not getting unified. But if he goes out and just nukes Tyrex Safadine, like, he, he's going to get his opportunity at, at, at GSP. But... Gilbert Melendez, most definitely. Like him and Ben Henderson are fighting at some point. And Especially after Nate's loss. Because, yeah, because I'm pretty sure Gilbert Melendez is not a fan of Ben Henderson right no. now. <laughs> I'm pretty sure like he's not a huge fan of Ben Henderson right now. Well, let, let's get into this. Um, the rest of this recap. Speaking of Rory McDonald, which we were talking about. Dude, dismantling BJ Penn. Dismantling him. Because that really was yeah. a complete complete dissection of a guy who is a legend in this sport. And it's not even a fact that, you know, BJ looked old or he looked tired or nothing. BJ came in, he looked in good shape, he was intense, but this is this is the future of mixed martial arts. These are guys that are training all the disciplines in one shot. This isn't a guy that says, oh, I'm going to take one year of Muay Thai, then take one year of BJJ. These are guys that at 9 in the morning take BJJ, at 12 o'clock, they take Muay Thai. At 1.30, 2 o'clock, they take wrestling all in one day. Yeah, Roy pistol-whipped BJ Penn. Like, he <laughs> beat the 
hell out of these events. And that fight wasn't close at any moment. Like, and here's the thing with BJ Penn. BJ Penn is a legend. BJ Penn is possibly the greatest lightweight to ever fight. The problem with BJ Penn is a couple things. One, he has some of the most stupid fans I've ever heard. Like, He's he, the Manny Pacquiao he, of MMA, dude. He, some of his fans are so hypnotized by BJ Penn that they fail to realize this. First of all, BJ Penn has no business fighting at 170. He has none. He's a 155. He's a blown-up 155 brother. Yes. That's what he should be. All of his losses, the vast majority of his losses, have come at 170 or above. Like, he lost to Leona Machida when he was fat, and for some reason he decided it was a good idea to, you know, fight Leona Machida. Uh, he, he lost all these fights at welterweight. He's a lightweight. Roy McDonald is a humongous welterweight. This dude had a picture up on his Twitter, I believe, where he was 100, 210 pounds ripped. Like, he, there was no fat on him. He was 210 pounds ripped. Roy McDonald's huge. Roy McDonald just beat the hell out of BJ from, from start to finish. He, um, he was able to um, outbox him from range. He was able to keep BJ off him that way. He was able to just beat him up with kicks, cheap uh, kicks to the face. Like, he, there was a sequence in the second round where he threw, like, six straight kicks to his face. Like, it was just, like, it, 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 was, it was brutal. It was violent. And I know a lot of BJ Penn fans are pissed because they claim that Roy McDonald was showboating, which he was, which I have no problem with. Oh, he was he shuffling. Was he, he was shuffling and fucking with the dude. And, I said, and, you know, I was like, damn, that's, you know, that's a dick move. But you know what? When you are fighting a guy who you idolize and you just dismantled him with minimal effort... You got to feel, you got to feel, you know, you got to wipe that dirt off your shoulder, you know, a little bit. You got to feel, you got to feel like you're in the zone. And like what what I said about BJ Penn being like Manny Pacquiao is that BJ Penn, much like Manny Pacquiao, surrounds himself with yes men. These are guys that, yeah. dude, you're all right. Nah, you're winning this round. You're good. You're all right. No, you're not. Roy McDonald crumpled you with a body shot. And his corner's like, hey, you know, you're doing, no, you're not. Like, B.J. Penn doesn't go and do a camp somewhere else. B.J. Penn hangs out in Hawaii and swims and, eat, and eats fucking, you know, Runs spam, spam and rice. Runs underwater with rocks because that does something. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's, it, yes, men. Just, just dudes that don't want to be like, dude, that, that round you were in was fucking garbage. They, they pointed that out on the show, uh, the show too. It's yep. like his corner gave no technical nope. feedback. It was like, oh, Tempo, what's he going to do, hit him with Tempo? Nope. Like, what is, what is, what is, what is Tempo going to do? Like, it, it, they gave no technical advice. Like, you have to tell him, like, yo, he, he's hitting you from range. Crowd him. Get this fight to the ground. Something like that. Like, BJ Penn, that's the problem with BJ Penn. BJ Penn is, is one of the most talented fighters in the history of fighting. But he's also going to be remembered for being one of the most underutilized un, being pampered he's one of the most pampered guys title. yeah and also underutilizing his skills he yep. never he never lived up to the potential that he had because BJ Penn I mean BJ Penn right now could go back to lightweight I don't think he'd beat Ben Henderson I don't think he would come close to beating Ben Henderson but he would do a good job against most lightweights. Like, he could go back to lightweight right now and do a good job. 
problem is he's so lazy he doesn't want to cut the weight. Like he he weighed in. They said he woke up at 168 pounds. There you go. Can't cut that little bit of weight and just go to lightweight. Like it's just I don't know. BJ Penn has never utilized his full timer. Like his greatest moment was when he he beat Matt Hughes, which is actually one of my favorite fights. Um, just just because it was so. It was so crazy seeing this blown up lightweight because even then, I mean, he was fat then too. Beat Matt Hughes in that fashion, like it's just it's it's crazy how much talent BJ Penn has, but he never uses it. Well, he never really put it all together. Well, no, and and you're right. That's that's one of those things. But like I said, he, he's a pampered guy. He's a guy that know his camp. The, the guy's made so much money, and he's such a name in the sport. And he's you know he's he's one of those guys. Like I said, much like Manny Pacquiao, he's in Hawaii, in Hawaii. He's a household name. So. Nobody's gonna tell him, dude. You do. You're, you're doing no, nothing wrong. They're gonna because they they're getting paid. So nobody's gonna want to fuck up their 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 cash flow by telling them, dude, that round was garbage. And that's unfortunate because that's that's what separates him from from the GSPs, from the John Jones, from the Anderson Silvas, from from the Ben Hendersons. That when you're doing shitty in a fight, they're gonna tell you, dude, you're not doing good. Get your shit together. Leave Hawaii. Go train. Go train in California. Go train in Arizona. Come train in New York. You know what I mean? Like, like get out of the the sun and the palm trees of Hawaii because clearly it's a fucking distraction. Yeah, but I mean, he's at the point in his career. He's taken two brutal beatings in two straight games. Yeah, two straight um, matches. Nick Diaz beat the shit out of him, and Will McDonald might have beat the shit out of him once. Yeah, Roy Roy McDonald when he crumpled him in that. In that in that second round, and you know the the, the commentary is always funny because he cut they they crumpled them and they're like yeah B J Penn is a warrior blah 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 it's like no B J Penn is it's not about being a warrior it's the fact that he got up and he can still keep going had he got crumpled and then and then clobbered over the head a few times they would have stopped that fight come on the thing the thing with B J Penn is though like he has one of the best chins in the sport but he also I don't know how actually conscious he is at these points in the fight. Like, you can be conscious standing up. I mean, you can be unconscious standing up. Like, yes. there are times, like like I said in my post, like, BJ Penn looks so sad when he starts getting his ass Yep. Up. Like, he has no poker face. Like, he, he just looks, like, he, he gets this distant look in his eyes. He looks, looking off into the distance. Yeah, he was visibly defeated. When, when, when Roy McDonald like, caught him, and that picture you put up was, was a perfect symbol of that, you could just be, see him like, oh, I should not be getting hit with this shit as good as I am, but I am. Yeah, like it's it's it's, it's same. That same look was in the Nick Diaz face. That same look was was when Matt Hughes got him in the uh, in in the crucifix uh, position when they fought the second time and pounded him out. That same look was when GSP was beating the fuck out of him for four rounds. Like. It, Still same, that same look is always on his face. Like, he gets people like, oh, he has a great chance. BJ Penn might have brain damage at the, the amount of things that have hit him. Yep. Like, it, it wouldn't shock me if, like, in 10 years, like, he has brain damage. Because you don't want to be known as a fighter with a great chance. Like, that's just, you want people not to know. Like, you just, you just don't want them to know how good your chin is. We right. have no idea how good John Jones' chin is. You know why we don't know? Because John Jones don't get hit. He don't put that chin out there, but when that chin does get tagged, he doesn't like it. So it's one of those things where a guy figures out, he's like, my chin is good, but let me not hang the shit out there. I mean, like BJ Penn knows he has a chin, 
But he's like, yeah, go ahead, front kick me to the face. It's all good. I'll just keep going. It's like, yo, the judges don't care that you can eat that kick and shake it off. Nobody gives a shit. Like it does nothing for you. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, I, I don't know. BJ Penn is one of those fighters that I think will go down in history as incredibly talented, but also as a huge waste of talent. Well, he said that in that interview that he got he got upset that when people talk about the legends of the sport, he's not in it. And it's like, dude, because every time you want to be associated with the legends of the sport, the first thing people will say is, BJ Penn's a great fighter, but he's lazy with his cardio, or he doesn't train this way, or he doesn't. That's not to say that he's not a tremendous athlete, but it's always the question if it's like, dude, you're just a, you're too pampered for your own good. And he's always been like that. BJ Penn came into the sport rich. Like, BJ Penn, yep. BJ Penn is not like a lot of fighters where he needs this. Yep. BJ Penn could go home and be fine, and he always could, and it was always really evident that he was aware of that, so he never he never had the hunger that you see some of these dudes with, like the hunger, like, I need this. BJ Penn never needed it. He never, he never had a... now, and he never... Yeah. No, what I was going to say was he never had a, holy shit, my rent's due on, on, on Monday morning fight. <laughs> yeah, like, he never had that kind of fight. Like, he... He, he, he just doesn't need it like other dudes do. He, he doesn't need it. He never has needed it. And it shows. It shows in the way he trains, and it shows in a way that at times he fights. It, and it's, it's, it's sad that someone that talented has never put it all together. Well, another guy that, that, that had a war that night was Shogun against Gustafsson. Gustafsson looked really good in that fight against a very, very game Shogun, because that, that's the funny thing, too. You know, you could see the contrast in fights immediately. Like, yeah, Gustafsson looked good. He had great striking. He was putting it together nicely. Even got some takedowns. But Shogun, Shogun was no slouch, man. He went for a couple of leg locks. He was showing a little, a little jujitsu, which was nice. And and he was he went in there and really had a war. Like it wasn't a case where where he was defeated mentally. Shogun fought all the way to the fucking end. That guy yeah, that, <laughs> is a warrior, dude. Yeah, that that actually shocked me. Um, the thing with Shogun is. It depends on how his knees are feeling that day. Yes. That's basically what it is. <laughs> like, basically, if Shogun knees is feeling good that day, he can put on a good fight with you. Sometimes. There's certain guys that it's not going to matter. Like, John Jones, if John Jones and Shogun fought 10 times, John Jones will win 10 straight times. Like, he's just not matching up well with John Jones. There's just certain guys he's not going to match up well with. But Shogun put on a really good fight. He had a really good leg lock attempt. He was hitting Gustafson with those weird bolo swinging punches he always throws. Like he just he did good. The only the only thing I have to say about this fight though is is the people who are so ready to put Gustafson in there with John Jones need to slow the hell down. You, but you do not want to ruin a prospect like that. Like you don't want to do that to but, him. But you know what's happening? What's happening is, and this is this is a, a, a shitty thing to say, but people while people are, are looking for the next GSP. They're looking for the next John Jones. They're looking for the next Anderson Silva with zero with zero thought to the fact that stop looking to replace the talent you have. You get what I'm saying? Like yeah. instead of worrying about creating the next John Jones, the next Anderson Silva, the next the next Ben Henderson, worry about investing your talents into creating fighters for your future, not feeding them to your fighters of now. Because what you end up doing is you end up ruining prospects and damaging these guys that you feel, for some odd reason, are the futures of these of the sport. 
Like Gustafson, he's a, he's a good fighter. He's incredibly talented. But if you're that good, then you shouldn't have let Shogun, who's who's an older fighter, really put you in danger a few times. Because the only reason he he, exactly. he wasn't in danger was because he muscled his way out of some of those leg locks. It wasn't because of exactly. technique. Yeah, exactly. Gustafson is a very good fighter, very good young fighter. He's not ready. He's not ready for John Jones yet. He's not ready for Rashad Evans yet. Rashad Evans would beat Gustafson's ass. Like, people are so ready to, to, especially the people that don't like John Jones, to find that guy that can beat him. But something they might have to accept is there might not be that particular guy. Like, he just might not exist at light heavyweight. And, and you have to accept that, and, and Gustafson ain't it. Like, just because he's tall, and, and I talked to a dude online yesterday, and, like, this, this is all always trips me out. When someone says a fighter can beat another fighter, I always want to know, okay, what exact way is he going to beat them? Like, and they're like, oh, he's long. How's he going to use that length? Like, do people think that John Jones is going to sit there and just kickbox with him? Like, why would he do that? Like, it, it, it boggles my mind. Like, people don't think about what they're saying before they say it. Like, think about what you're saying. You, you want him to beat John Jones. How would he go about actually doing that? Well, it people... It boxing, John Jones. Cause, well, go ahead. It wouldn't be boxing with John Jones because John Jones isn't going to box with him. Like, people are so ready to, 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 to crown this guy the next challenger with no distinct way that he can actually win it. Well, looking at it from from an analytical standpoint is, is always is always a good way to look at it. But I just look at it from the standpoint of how have it, how have your last three fights been? Have they been decisive or hard fought? If they're hard fought fights, you've earned the opportunity to go there. But unless you're going to show something incredibly different, hard fought fights, while they're good, sometimes don't set the standard. Because if that was the case, then then you know Dan Henderson should be champion. Because he goes out there and has fucking wars. You see what I'm saying? You yep. can't you can't measure these fights on wins and losses. You gotta you gotta measure them on coming in and finishing quickly and staying fresh. Because what that allows you to do is get back in the gym faster to prepare yourself quicker for the next fight. Yeah, I, it it it. it. Well, that's an issue, dude. It's an issue with the UFC, and I and I know you. Know, that's that's kind of where it is. The UFC is always looking for the next guy. It's the same way the NBA was looking for the next Jordan. How for how many years did we hear X guy is the next Jordan, X guy is the next Jordan, X guy is the next Jordan? It's like, dude, just let those guys be themselves. Yeah, same, like, same it, thing it's applies. Different in this type of sport because dudes have to actually like go up and fight each other, but. They are so ready to say Gustafson is, and, and I know what they're doing. They're grooming Gustafson to be the next challenger, like straight yep. up. Like Dan Henderson, even if he beats Leoto, will have to fight Gustafson. Yep, I guarantee you, they're going to have to fight each other. Even if he beats Leoto, which I don't think he will, so it's going to be Gustafson Leoto. They want Gustafson to get that title shot so badly, and it's not it's not smart business because he will get hurt. And the only reason they haven't John Jones hasn't ruined the division yet is because a lot of the guys he's beaten have been older dudes, so they're they've already established their careers. Like they they're not losing credibility by losing to John Jones. Like right. You've already got fans. 
Gustafson is at the point of the career similar to what John Jones is. If you put him up against John Jones and let John Jones do what John Jones does to people, you're ruining a marketable brand. Like, you're just ruining it because then people are going to be like, well, why? It's exactly what happened to John Fitch at, at Welterweight. Yes. There's a reason John Fitch never, hasn't got a, a second title shot. Beat, um, GSP beat the hell out of him for five rounds. Nobody wants to see that fight. John Fitch can win fight after fight after fight after fight, and nobody will care because he's already got his ass beat. Like, you cannot just throw these guys to these super these superhuman fighters and be like, okay, everything's going to be cool after this. Like, you just can't do that. Yeah, well, do you want to know who's living, breathing example of that happening? Brock Lesnar. <laughs> exactly. Brock Lesnar is a shining example of that because when you fed him to, you know, a Cain Velasquez, then you fed him to an Alistair Overeem, the outcomes, everyone saw them a mile away. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's the people that actually knew the sport, not the people that were just here because Brock Lesnar used to wrestle. If you actually knew the sport, you knew good and well, Brock Lesnar didn't have nothing for Cain Velasquez. At all. No, nope, because both guys know both guys knew how to wrestle. Giant punch. <laughs> both yeah, guys knew how to wrestle. Giant, yeah, unless he landed one of those giant punches, he wasn't doing nothing to Cain Velasquez. Because Cain Velasquez was a better boxer, and Cain Velasquez was a better wrestler. It's but, that simple. But and Brock Lesnar was pampered. Was nature, so. Brock Lesnar was pampered, yeah. too, because nobody told him, like, dude, you need to work on that stand-up. It was like, all right, you know, whatever you say, dude. It's like dude, lifting... Is basically like uh, I think there was an interview with Pat Barry or something where like he was like we couldn't even hit Brock Lesnar like that. Like yep. Brock Lesnar didn't like getting hit. He probably didn't want to get hit in practice. Let me tell you something. Didn't that often. I've I've been you know I've I've been a gym rat since I was fourteen years old, and mm-hmm. I've 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 lifted from the lightest weights to the heaviest weights, and I can tell you this: lifting weights may make you stronger. But the only way your jaw is going to get stronger is by you getting accustomed to it being hit. You build up facial toughness. You build that up because you spar hard. Lifting weights doesn't prevent you from getting knocked the fuck out. If that was the case, half of these jacked up, gel-haired motherfuckers I see all over the place would, would run this town if that was the case. You better start lifting. You better start lifting weights with your face at this point, if that's if that's what we're it's gonna use even, to gauge your toughness. Doesn't mean shit. That. Okay. No, what I was gonna say was Fedor Emelianenko is a, has the body of a fucking accountant. He looks like the guy that would file your fucking taxes, but when he but when his fist touches your face, you're going to sleep. You know, regardless yeah. of records or whatever we're talking about, we're just talking about you, you could be chiseled out of granite, and it's like body like Tarzan, fight like Jane. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, it's that simple. And some dudes, some dudes just don't got the chin for it. There's some dudes that just just aren't going to be able to withstand getting hit in the face. And Brock Lesnar was one of those dudes that when he got hit, it was instantaneous. You saw he did not like it. He did not react to it like you're not supposed to back straight up when you got hit. You yep. get hit like that. That's just not something you do. And he, as soon as he got hit, he was backing straight up. Feet were crossing, hands were going all over the place, yep. and you knew right then like he's not gonna last anyway. It's like as soon as he gets hit, he, he shit goes out the window. 
While a properly trained Brock Lesnar that would have mastered all the intricacies of mixed martial arts would have eaten that hit and shot for the double leg. It's like, dude, you are, you have the one of the largest frames in the sport. You mean to tell me that if I tap your jaw and you don't like it, you don't shoot for the fucking double leg? Your job at that point is to go through my through my midsection like a butter knife goes through a fucking stick of butter. That is your job. You don't back up. You don't run. You don't you don't run from that. What's wrong with you? It, it is it's real simple. When he got hit, everything he had been taught because I'm sure someone told him that. As soon as he got hit, he wasn't even thinking like that anymore. And I'm not even talking the Overeem fight, you know. Well, the Overeem fight is a little bit different because I don't think there's a human on this planet that can get kicked in the midsection by Overeem and be fine. Well, he just, just just eat that. Dude, Brock, Le- <laughs> Brock Lesnar's stomach was held together with Elmer's glue and fucking deer meat. No, I, I don't give a fuck who you are. Citing what you said, you eat a knee like that to the midsection, coming off the ground on some Tong Po shit. It's it's not happening. Stop! Stop it! Stop it right there. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I don't know. I mean, it. You can't, you can't just teach something to people. You can't teach toughness. Nope. Well, with that said, let's get into this uh, lightweight fight with uh, Mr. Toothpick yeah. himself, Ben Henderson. Can I tell you, every time Ben Henderson gives a gives a post-fight interview, I, I, I feel like, mm-hmm. you know, like, like I'm in church on a Sunday. Not that, I'm not saying it in a he negative is. way, but it's just like, well, damn, dude, all right. <laughs> we got it. He is so angry about loving Jesus. It's kind of scary. Like, exactly. He's so angry about it. <laughs> That's exactly. He's, he's like, like he's so like, mad? he's like, all right, everybody, you better pray. I don't see you praying, bitch. You know, like, like he's that kind of a dude. Super, super hardcore, which is fine. I don't, I'm not knocking that. It's just the whole, the whole, wait a minute. Before we say anything else, Jesus Christ. You know, I'm like, all right, dude, thanks. Got it. Just angry about it. <laughs> just super <laughs> upset about Jesus, about him and Jesus being cool. <laughs> it's uncomfortable. But, uh, yeah, man, Benson Henderson put on a clinic in this fight, like, which is which goes into actually why I think GSP will be able to probably do the same thing to Nick. Well, yeah, because there's no KOs. Okay. No, what I was going to say was there's no KO strength. Yeah, like, what, what they're good at. If you're going to beat GSP, you're not going to beat him with a thousand paper cuts. You're going to have to hit that motherfucker with a hammer, like just instantaneously. You have to knock GSP out because he is not going to ever give you that opportunity to throw your million one punches, and that's exactly what Ben Henderson did. Like I, I, I rewatched the fight uh, maybe like two hours ago. He did an excellent job of taking everything that uh, Nate Diaz does well and keeping it away from him. He couldn't box because when they were on the feet, Ben Henderson was either so far out that all that could be done is kick, or he was so close that all that Diaz couldn't get a punch off, uh, or he was hitting him with like weird punches to the knee and just, just weird things. And then when he was on the ground, which I love what Ben Henson does when he's on the ground, is he stacked him up where his feet were so high that he couldn't do a submission or a sweep. Like he he just and he was one of the first dudes I've ever seen that knocked Diaz down with a straight punch, and he set those punches up beautifully. Like, I mean, Ben Henderson did an excellent, excellent job in this fight. Uh, also, for some reason, he decided it was a good idea to fight with a toothpick in his mouth, which I don't understand at all. 
period. Like, I don't see why that's a good idea. Like, you're, you're basically fighting with a giant splinter in your mouth. Yes. Like, you could swallow that and something very bad can happen. Like, that's not a good idea. Well, <laughs> I, there's a... When At you all. fight... The, I love the Diaz brothers. I think the Diaz brothers are amazing for the sport just because of their blatant disregard for anything. But I... The, there, there's a phrase said by, by the late Bruce Lee, which is apropos for not only this fight, but when Nick Diaz, too, it's like, I fear not the man who has practiced 10,000 kicks once, but I fear the man who has practiced one kick 10,000 times. And, what, and the reason I say that is because you can go out there and you can hit somebody with a thousand jabs and do nothing. But if you come in there and you, and, and you have power in the one shot, that's the whole thing. It's like, let's talk about like the Showtime kick, when when Anthony Pettis hit Ben Henderson with it, everybody was like, "Oh shit, he he should be knocked out," but he's not. It's like Anthony Pettis practiced that kick. It's great and all, but it was nice. You get what I'm saying? It was pretty. Yeah. Same thing with the with the Diaz brothers. I love them to death, but it's like, dude, the Stockton slap. Yeah, that looks good in the eyes of the judges because you're peppering them with, you know a record 253 punches, but why isn't he asleep? I mean, I, I get what you're saying, but, like, their game has never been, like, they're not, they're just not those dudes that are going to be knocking you out. Now, they do the dumb damage with those punches. They do, that's but... The, that's well, what, go ahead. But, 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 um, if you can neutralize it, you are able to beat them because they don't have the ability to one-shot you. Like, you brought up Anthony Pettis. Anthony Pettis can knock you out with one punch. Or exactly. One he can. He just, just so happened in that fight. He might, and me personally, I actually think when he landed the Showtime kick, he actually might have knocked out Ben Henderson. Yeah, because Ben kind of slid. Woke him back up. <laughs> ben Henderson yeah, it, did it slide like across. Woke him back up a little bit. Huh? No, I said Ben Henderson did kind of slide across the octagon when that happened. Yeah, it looked it looked like he, he fell straight backwards, and then Anthony Pettis like, hit him again, and it woke him back up. I don't know possible but like they don't have that ability to hit you one time and change the entire fight like they what they what they're really good at is getting you to fight the type of fight they want they they start taunting you and they start throwing a billion and one punches when you try to like swing back at them they're really good at doing that but if you're disciplined and ignore that then you can beat them case in point carlos condit and and ben henderson the last two dudes they fought uh the brothers have fought Carlos Condit completely ignored everything Diaz was doing and did an excellent job of sticking a move. Ben Henderson mauled Nate Diaz. There's no other way to put that. I mean, I don't think there was any 10-8 rounds because Nate Diaz never gave up. No, no, no. Hell no. He was even close to being finished or was even close to being finished at any point in that fight. But he was thoroughly beaten down. Like, he was, that, that's, that's what you do. That's, 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 how you, that's how you show you're a champion. You game plan for his strength. And you take them all away. Every single one of his strength is gone. He couldn't use his jujitsu and he couldn't use his boxing. He just took it all away from him. And and that's the thing with the Diaz brothers. I've always wondered why why nobody ever helps them establish at least a a basic level of wrestling. And the only reason I say that is because when your jujitsu is as good as the Diaz brothers, the wrestling would complement that. Because I saw plenty of moments, and and that's not even to say because you know Ben Henderson's an an A and an, an A class wrestler. But I'm just saying there were moments where, where, like, when Henderson was punching him in the leg, which was an awesome fucking tactic. Um, 
when Ben Henderson was was jabbing his leg with with punches, who's to say that you shouldn't have gone in and shot in for the takedown as as he reeled back for a punch to the leg? You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, they aren't. The thing with them are they're not horrible, horrible, horrible wrestlers. The thing is, they're just not great wrestlers. They're good enough to get up. What what they're good at and what they've gotten better at as um, as a deal is getting back up. Early in both of their careers, they were content to just let you be in their guard and try to armbar you. Now they're very good at getting back up, but they're never. There's just some people that never will be great wrestlers. It's, it's just how it is. But they, when they run up against these really, really good wrestlers, they get taken out. Now, I don't know how Nick, Nick Diaz does against these other wrestlers because Nick Diaz is a bigger, stronger of the brothers. So he might be able to do a little bit more, but you haven't seen him against a wrestler in years. Like, he hasn't had to fight anybody who wrestles in years since I think he lost to Sean Shirk. And I don't yep. think Sean Shirk is fighting anymore. So, I mean, it's been probably five or six years. But, you know, I mean, maybe is maybe is still one of the best lightweights in the world. Uh, will he ever fight Ben Henderson again? No, not unless he goes on like some crazy winning streak. But, you know, Ben Henderson showed a lot tonight. I mean, I personally thought, I actually thought he might have lost to Frankie Edgar the second time they fought. Um, he showed tonight he, he, he legitimized himself as a champion uh, last, uh, last Saturday. Well, with that said, before we get into the other MMA news, what's um, who do you got next? You think for Henderson? Honestly, um, Gilbert Melendez. Yeah, if either either Gilbert Melendez or the winner of Pettis uh, Cerrone, and I say that only if it's Pettis because Cerrone and Henderson fought twice already, and yep. Henderson choked him out in like eight seconds the second time. So. Cerrone, I think, will be a fun fight, a, a, another a fun fight. But if it's if it's Pettis, you do that fight. You do that fight as soon as possible because their first fight was one of the best fights I've ever seen. That was that was an amazing fight. You might not want to pump up the Showtime kick as much because he's not landing that ever again on anyone ever. <laughs> Very doubtful. But um, we may get we may get a you know, a, a, a guile kick instead. <laughs> I mean, he's tried some other kicks. Like he tried, like a, I think a spinning back kick off the cage or something like that against Clay Guida. Like he tries, these, he tries to do these things. I mean, he just so happened to, in the last minute of the last round of the last WE show, WC show, land one of the most amazing things I've ever seen in MMA. Like that was, that was amazing. But uh, yeah, I think it's either Pettis or it's Gilbert Melendez, um, and. I'm interested to see how the Pettis fight plays out, um, just because I think they're both better than they were when they fought. Um, what was that? No, 08, 09. Yep. Yeah, when they fought in 09, like I think they're both better fighters than they were then. And also, I'm gonna just see how Gilbert Melendez does against a guy like Henderson because they have very similar styles. Sure. Uh, I think Gilbert Melendez is a better boxer, but he's also you know got a wrestling base. They, they're very similar. So I'm in, they're both really aggressive. I, I just I, I'm interested to see how that, that that dynamic works, especially now that he you know beat Diaz and all that. Oh, we shall find out in 2013. Speaking of which, we got some bonuses handed out from that card. Eve Edwards took a nice uh, sixty-five thousand dollars for his knockout of the night. Scott Jorgensen pulled double duty, got fight of the night honors and submission of the night honors. Sixty-five grand. 
for 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 a, for a choke that that he 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 worked all of you know less than two minutes for. Yeah, that choke, that choke, that was that was that was smooth. <laughs> Well, guy, I, wa- I want to talk a little bit of, about Japanese MMA. Of course, we got the Dream Card coming together, which I was talking about before I brought you on. Not a really nice set of fights coming in. Shinya Aoki, Antonio McKee, which is going to be crazy. Uh, Melvin Manoff, who I love to watch fight, and Dennis Kang. And uh, Bibiano Fernandez doing a catchweight fight against Yoshiro Maeda, which should be a badass fight, too. Yeah, those, uh, those should be some uh, good, good fights. Um, sounds like some good fights. Another fight uh, that I'm trying to see right now, exactly when it's going down, is uh, Daryl Montague um, versus uh, um, God. Why can't I remember his name? Uh, Daryl Montague versus um, uh, Mario Yamaguchi. Um, like the winner of that fight probably is coming into the UFC. They're both uh, 125ers. Um, that should be a really good fight. Um, it should, I believe, it's on Christmas. Yes, that'd I heard about really that. Yeah, that's that's going to be a really, really, really good fight. Um, especially because both of them, hopefully, personally, I want to see both of them in the UFC, Daryl Montague and um, Yamaguchi, just because, you know, they're elder statesmen of the 125 division. But, um, yeah, that should be a really good fight um, coming up in December. I can't find at the moment what card it's going to be on for some reason, but that should be a really good fight. <laughs> I'd like to see, I'd like to see... Um... Bibiano Fernandez in the UFC. I'd like to see Shinya Aoki in the UFC because both I those mean, guys would Bibiano be. Bibiano Fernandez had his opportunity to get in UFC and he decided to be a dick. Yeah, he he kind of he kind of floundered there, but I think I think if he has a a better performance, you know, if he has an awesome performance for New Year's, he may be getting a second phone call. Yeah, hopefully, and hopefully he doesn't screw it up again and. Cause, I mean, he had a contract and he decided that idea. Yeah, I don't want to do that. Like that was not the most intelligent thing to do. The glo- the glory for um, single elimination tournament is going to be serious, dude. You got Sammy Schilt, Gokan Saki, Daniel Gita, Remy Bojanski, Peter Ertz, um, and Sergey Haritanov all fighting. Grand prize is four hundred thousand dollars. There's going to be violence galore. That should be really, really good. I'm really looking forward to to Glory. I love watching Glory. Glory is incredibly fun to watch. Shifting shifting gears a little bit, we got to talk a little bit about Bellator. Bellator, of course, had another another outstanding night of fights last Friday. Uh, Jessica I choking out Zoila Grigel with a standing arm triangle choke in the first round. Slumped her over like uh, John Jones, Lyoto Machida style. Yeah, that was that was quick. That was that was quick, and also shows why if you're a champion in Bellator, why the hell are you taking fights down for your championship? Well, the, the... Just, just... go ahead. Right. I mean, Bellator just continues to devalue their belts with these fights and have their champions lose. Well, the shit that happened with her belt was, I think her belt was for 115 pounds. That what the issue with that belt was that they had that they created that belt. She dropped down to fight for that belt, won it, and then said, I can't come down and wait anymore to defend that belt or something along those lines, which caused some issues with Bellator. So I think there's a a small side of me that thinks that they gave her this fight as punishment. Well, 
that, and she should have been stripped of the belt as soon as you say some stupid shit like yep. that. Yep, that's <laughs> like, what that's what I'm saying. But like, what? Like, what you mean you can't defend this belt? Then you don't have a belt. It's that simple. Uh, it's, it's not even a question anymore. And then, of course, you know, we got Bellator tomorrow night. We got some good fights there. You know, Marcin Held, Dave Jansen is going to be sick. Rich Hale, um, Alexander Volkov, and Felice Herrig is debuting. Um, I'm actually a big fan of her. She goes in there, and she she brawls like a motherfucker. She's fighting uh, Patricia Vidonic. Originally, she was going to be taking out. Um, yes, but <laughs> of course. And she was going to be. Ta- she was originally going to take on. <laughs> Michelle Gutierrez, and there was some shit about weight cuts, and then there was lies about injuries and text messages and screen caps and all this shit. All I know is she got a new opponent, and she wore some 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 crazy weigh-in gear, which you know that's to be expected. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you know, you know, Bella Bellator is doing their thing, man. I think I think that they're gonna have a hard night tomorrow, though, because they got the UFC card, UFC on FX six to compete against. And, you know, that's got some solid fights there. Obviously the finals for tough smashes, but also, um, Lombard and Paul Harris and Pearson and Sadaropoulos, all solid fights. Not only that, but on the fuel TV side, you got a couple of good ones too. Chad Mendes fighting on the fuel TV side. Uh, Joey Beltran, he's got himself a fight there. Uh, Seth Pazinski also. So there's a couple of solid fights there. I don't know if Bellator is going to be able to hang, but Based on their televised card, I only see I'm only seeing three fights at eight o'clock. Uh, for who? Uh, for UFC? For Bellator. Bellator says start time is eight o'clock. FX has a nine o'clock start time. So basically, Bellator is going to lose lose people tuning out to see the UFC on FX. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah you I, see, they they fucked themselves with that booking. Avoid. They should avoid going up against the UFC if possible. It, it's not a good idea. Uh, it, it won't be a good idea for quite some time. They don't have the product. Like people are going to turn into the UFC just because it's UFC. Like right. more than anything, like like just because it says UFC. So uh, though, I'm looking forward to both cards. Um, I'm going to have to DVR them both and then flip back and yeah. forth, flip back and forth because I do want to see uh, Marcin Held and Dave Jansen. I think that's good. That fight's going to be a problem, and um, I, I have a feeling, honestly, that Dana White's going to be watching that that fight, just because you know Marcin Held is a, is a guy that has tremendous accolades. So the Bellator is kind of like his coming out party. Yeah, I mean, um, Marcin Held is, is really good. Um, I mean, there's there's a couple of really good fights on here: Marcin Held, Joe Vitapo, and Lewis uh, Taylor. Um, Eddie Castillo, Dave Sharp. Yeah, you know, there's some good fights on here. There's some really good fights on here, but I I just think, I mean, they got some flyweight fights on the the, the prelims, too. I mean, but I I just don't think, I don't think going against the UFC on any night, if you're another MMA promotion, is ever a good idea. They, and I I know they couldn't take this card off that night. There was nothing they could have done at that point, I guess. But it, it just wasn't a good idea. Well, speaking of the UFC, you know, of course, UFC 157 is coming together quite nicely. Of course, Rousey, Liz Carmouche for the women's bantamweight title. Hendo and Machida is the co-main event. Uriah Favor, Ivan Menjavar. It's being rumored um, LeVar Johnson and uh, Brendan Schaub, which was originally going to happen at, U- at this this past card, is going down at 157. 
it, it's very interesting that they that they really are going hardcore with um, Rousey and and Carmouche headlining the card. Very very big of them to do that. Let let's see if the announcer says the old um, this is a women's featured attraction fight because you know that's the kind of shit that we heard in Strike Force. I don't think the UFC will say it's a featured attraction. Yeah, let's like, hope. UFC, let's hope not. <laughs> like I, I think they legit want this to work at least for Ronda Rousey's end. And, and I and I commend the UFC for picking Liz Carmouche first of all over Misha Tate because Misha Tate should shut the fuck up about her getting a rematch. You got your arm broken last time y'all fought. Like that wasn't a close fight. Why the hell do you need a rematch? Well, no. The, the, regardless, to to to. Give my my two cents on that. I think in, in Misha Tate's case, she was like, oh, you know, I'm taking time off. And people are like, well, if you were taking time off, why didn't you take the fight? And she's like, oh, well, I would have made the exception for that fight. It's like, no, that's not the point. You said you're taking time off. So if you're taking time off, it's like me saying, hey, Ben, I'm not going to do the show for two weeks. And then randomly, you know, you say, hey, Rich, if you do the show next week, you there might be some sponsors listening. So then, of course exceptions be are, have to be made. But as far as you know, I'm taking the two weeks off. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's like, yo, what are you doing? I mean, I commend her for, for, for wanting to step up and clearly, I mean, don't get me wrong, a fight with Tate and Rousey would have gotten a, a ton of a ton of press just because, you know, they hate each other. But it's like, look, this chick ready she's ready to bang. She's ready to fight. So give her the opportunity. I mean, there's nothing worse and, and this is something that I can understand from a business standpoint, then creating this division, all this fanfare, and giving people a fight they've already seen. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's how I feel. Like, it, it's, it's very good of them, first of all, to give this Kamusha fight, especially considering this Kamusha is like an openly gay lesbian. And, you know, it, 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 it's, it's very good that they, they decided to go a different direction, someone they haven't seen uh, Ronda Rousey rip their arm from their body, which is probably still going to happen. But it's, it's, it's good that they decided to do this fight over whatever other fight they were thinking about doing. Well, no, it's funny you bring that up. One of the guys I work with, well, he works in my building. He was like, hey, um, you know, I'm shocked that there hasn't been the whole big political uproar about, um, you know, the, the, this young lady's sexual orientation. And I answered it very easily. Sexual orientation has no basis when it comes to people punching each other in the face. Simple as that. I that, don't give a shit that's what you are. For the women. <laughs> but but that, that, and I understand what you're saying, but that's so much more true for the women fighters. Like, because <laughs> like if a dude fighter, a male fighter, comes out and says he's gay, it's... Well, who was the guy that did, that, that did the porno that was on The Ultimate Fighter? And there was this whole... Uh, uh, what was it? What was it? Dakota Cochran? Yeah, and everybody was like, oh, it's just like, oh, who gives a shit? Who cares? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, personally, I don't care either. Like, he's trying to punch you in the face. Like, I, it, it's... Dude, I don't give a shit. Whole... I don't give a shit if yeah. we fight and afterwards you put on high heels and a miniskirt for the post-fight interview. For 15 minutes, we are punching each other in the fucking face. I don't care. I don't yeah. care if you come out in straight up two Wong Fu drag after the fight. I don't give a shit. But but of course, yeah, no, and, and as soon as February comes around, I guarantee you there's going to be some tight ass closeted fucking douche that's going to go on big. You know, man, this is fucked up. They got 
you know, this is going to confuse the fans. Who the fuck is it confusing? She's a girl that likes girls. There are dudes that like dudes. Sometimes they punch each other in the face. Move on. <laughs> the fuck, man? Yeah, Yo, I say it all the time. We are not going to get fucking killed by nuclear weapons. We're going to get offended to death. Because people have become fucking pussies. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Like, there should be, it, it shouldn't, I'm sure the UFC will bring it up at some point just to say it like, hey, she's gay, and then move on from it. But hopefully there's no uproar, unneeded stupidity well, that's what, from it. Like, accept it and move on. Wait, well, you know, the UFC, they'll probably do their, their, their you know, their, their 24-7 special building up to that fight. Yeah. And I'm sure it's going to get acknowledged. And, and that, it's not so much the UFC that'll bring it up, but it's going to be acknowledged. And then someone, someone is going to isolate it and jump on it as soon as it comes out. As soon as it comes out publicly, they're going to be like, but, and, and, and it's just going to, and it's going to snowball. But see, that's the beauty of a Dana White. But Dana, he's going to be like, I don't give a fuck what you do. I just want to swim in fucking money like Scrooge McDuck watching these two women punch each other in the face. Is that so hard? Some guys like watching girls, girl on girl in the privacy of their own home. I like watching girl on girl when they're punching each other in the face with lots of money. Am I a bad guy? No. Yeah, I mean, hopefully... There's no stupidity that comes from this. But oh, it's coming, dude. We are. might as well get ready. We might as well fan the flames of that now and be ready for it in a few weeks. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> I, I, I was bummed to hear, and I actually, one of the few times I watched the uh, the UFC Tonight Show, to hear that Mark Hominick retired, he announced his retirement, I was fucking bummed to hear that. I think Mark Hominick is, is probably one of the the most genuine guys in the sport, he, you know, he kind of, not to say he wears his heart on his sleeve, but he goes out there and he, he puts his, dude, that, that, that fight with Jose Aldo where he looked like Bonk from Bonk's Adventure with that fucking third eye growing out of his head and the guy just went out there at the risk of that shit being popped in his head. He went out there and just delivered an amazing fight. And, and you know, of course, they had to ask, you know, Kenny Florian was like, hey, you know, the Sean Tompkins passing have something to do with that and he was like no you know I'm, I got another kid on the way and you know I'm starting my next chapter and I'm sure he's going to teach which of course is is without without question probably where he's going to excel but the fact is I just felt that his career just got cut off before we we the fans got to enjoy it a little selfish of me sure but I enjoyed watching him fight yeah me too I mean after because he's lost what like four straight fights now like, I think so. Yeah, he lost to Chance on John. He yes. lost to Eddie Yagen. Three straight, three straight. And he fought he, he just recently lost uh I forgot his name. But um you know he he also said something that he said he's fighting um obscurity or he was fighting uh the state relevant. After he lost to Joe well he has lost four straight fights, so we count the Jose Allen fight. Yeah, he lost four straight fights. At this point, it might be time to hang it up. And I, and I do think Sean Thompson's death has something to do with a little bit of the way he's fought or has fought. Um, I mean, it's unfortunate that his moment in the sun came in a loss and then three subsequent losses uh, because he, he was a great fighter. I mean, he beat Eves, um, Eves Edwards 
uh, back when Eve Zebel was a lightweight king. Like, and he was just a blown up featherweight. Like, this dude's fight with Hash. And for the, for the people out there, if you get a chance, go to YouTube and look up, um, Mark Hominick's fights with Hashi In fact, I'll probably put, um, link them either on the, the Facebook page or I'll link them in my next, um, uh, breakdown on the card. Uh, those are great fights. I mean, Lou, Lou is one of the elder statesmen in, in Canada. The reason GSP and Roy McDonald and those guys were suits to press conferences because, um, Mark Hominick was doing that back when they were just fighting for TKO. Like, I mean, he, he's one of the other states in the Canada MMA, and it's, it's unfortunate that he, he's retiring. Uh, in my eyes, a little prematurely. Like, uh, he's Dude, probably going to get cut anyway, too. He's probably going to end up getting cut. I can't look at Rory McDonald dressed up post-fight without thinking of Christian Bale in American Psycho. Like, I swear Rory yeah, McDonald's yeah, wearing a raincoat inside his house. Rory, are you wearing a raincoat? Yes, I am! I'm in fucking GSP. Yeah, he he does look a little Norman Bateman. It's it's kind of uncomfortable. Yeah, dude, it's a it, it, it's a it's a little creepy. Like he'll he'll sit there and, and you know he has the the really perfectly combed hair. Like when he came in, he had the Inspector Gadget trench coat on. And look, man, I'm all for dressing good, especially especially as I've gotten older. You know, the the phrase "dressing like a grown up" comes to mind. Like I'm not gonna show up at a job interview in Tim's and a sweater. And, and, and baggy-ass jeans. Those days are long behind me. But it's just weird seeing him show up and he has, like, the full the full gear on. Trench coat, all that shit. I'm like, dude, where are you going? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yo, where are you going? Yeah, yeah, he's, uh, <laughs> he's, uh, he, he's, he, he does it a bit much. He does a bit much. Like, GSP puts on his suit and stuff, but GSP, you know... It, GSP's a guy, we, we were joking about his hairline the last time when he fought. Because we were like, yo, he has the cleanest fade and the cleanest hairline in the game. We were saying that he gets a shape up in between rounds. Like, that's how clean the dude the dude is. And it's just weird that he comes out and it's kind of the norm for him. But Rory McDonald, he's like, he's a younger guy. So it's like, dude, why are you dressed like, like you're going to Hogwarts? What the fuck is going on? Perfectly coiffed hair. Oh, the hair yeah, kills me, dude. That car salesman hair. Yeah. Holy shit, straight Ron Burgundy status. But we could we could clown yeah, him all was... we could clown him all night. Let, yeah. let's, let's bring this shit full circle. Um UFC on Fuel TV eight got announced that's going down in Japan. It's gonna be amazing because the Japanese crowd are amazing fans. And they're getting some really, really great fights. Um Alex Caceres, he's taking on uh Kyung Ho Kang, uh, Takea Mitsugaki, and Brian Caraway. We kind of know where that's going to go. Um, Cristiano Marcelo, uh, Kazuki Tokodome, Ricky Fakuda, Brad Tavares, CR the Killer taking on Stun Gun Kim, Fireball Kid Takanori Gomi taking on Diego Sanchez. I think this is this is the fight where people are going to wonder if Gomi will have a job. And um, Mark Hunt, Stefan Struve, somebody's going to sleep in that fight. And not for nothing, I think... I think the Japanese soil will empower Mark Hunt to ki- to to topple the skyscraper. <laughs> and of course, I mean, my bo- if he can get close enough to him, yeah, I think a foot difference <laughs> in height or something like that. Hey, man, Mark Hunt by by Dragon Punch. There you go. <laughs> and my boy, my boy, I don't give a fuck. Washed up, has been. However, people want to want to want to call it. Vanderlei Silva and Brian Stan in Japan. 
that should be a fun fight, even <laughs> though it might be violent in for Vondale. Stop it. Go on, man. Damn. Like a freaking <laughs> boy. I mean, but it should be a fun fight. I just, I just, I just don't want to see Vandalay get knocked out. Like, that's the whole thing. Like, Brian Stan hits really hard for Vandalay to just be standing in front of. And you know that's what he's going to do. Well, Vandalay was talking about going up to 205 in 2013. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? <laughs> what, what are you doing? Don't do that. Don't Why are you giving me more that. gray hair? You're killing me, Vandalay. Like, what are you doing? Go don't go back to 205, bro. Like, just, like, just, just stay at 185. I, I don't know. Vandalay should probably be looking into um, probably don't get me. up himself. Uh, don't get me wrong. Vandalay and Shogun would be an awesome fight at 205. It would, but Vandalay would probably get knocked out in that fight, too. Like, Vandalay is just not built like he used to be. Like, like he, he has some good moments in fights, but he, he Like, not not every time he fights now, but, like, when was the last time Vandalay fought? I think it's been it's it's been a while, dude. Did he, didn't he, he fight uh, Kung Lee? Was it Kung Lee? Yeah, I think the Kung Lee fight might have been the last fight. It's been a long time, but, yeah, I mean, outside of that fight, he hasn't looked great. he hasn't looked very good at one eighty five for a while uh, outside of beating Bisping. Um you know, I mean Vanley is Vanley is a legend. Um but as we've seen with a lot of the legends from Pride. Yeah, I know. The, uh, <laughs> they're they're slowly they're slowly but surely just becoming older fighters and that's what happens to older fighters. Slowly I'm slowly dying inside with each Pride dude that leaves, you know, Rampage, uh you know, Hendo Shogun. I tell you what, though, if he goes up to 205, like I said, and he just wants to have, like, the fights for the fans, Vanderlei and Shogun, Vanderlei and Hendo, Vanderlei and Machida would be good. I'd take those three fights, and then you could you could retire. Let's leave out the Henderson fight, because the last time they fought, uh, Vanderlei looked like he died. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, fighting over here. Like, that's not the... Nah. Dude, I would have done. I would have done one more Vandalay rampage to also, just for shits, man. Yeah, no. I mean, I, I see what you're saying. But yeah, I I know I know. Of course, the your your the Ben plays the role of spoiler. It's all good, man. But him and Stan definitely in Japan is going to be nasty. You know that crowd's going to go crazy when Sandstorm hits and he comes out because you know you got the old hardcore Japanese pride dudes over there just going crazy. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it'll be fun to watch. I, I can't wait. I can't wait to uh, to see though that that card. That sounds like a really really good card, dude. And it's on free TV. It's on fucking fuel. Yeah, to be on fuel, it sounds like a really good card. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. It's like it's like you're giving the, that card away for free. It, it, it's like if nobody finds a way to watch that card, they're doing themselves a a, a huge disservice. Yeah. And uh, last but not least, of course, to close to close things out, um, of course, with the Forrest Griffin Phil Davis fight off the card, they moved uh, Chris Lieben, Carlos Vemela to the main card. So now the um, the one fifty five card has Dos Santos Velasquez for the for the title, Lazan and Miller, uh, Bocek and Philippou, Belcher and Okami, and Lieben and Vemela, which I think is a solid solid opener. The only other fight I probably would have put as the at the opener might have been uh, Leonard Garcia and Cody McKenzie, probably. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, that's not, that's going to be a really good card. I'm, I'm I'm really interested to see how 
uh, the second uh, Cain Velasquez Junior Dos Santos fight go, plays out. Plus the return of Todd Duffy. Oh yeah, that guy. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, that guy. Forgot <laughs> about him. There you go. All right, so um, that's it. We're good. We wrapped up uh, the MMA segment for this week. Of course, be on the lookout for Ben's Fighter of the Month for December and also Ben's Fighter of the Year. Also follow Ben on Twitter at Blackout. What? It's 89. Yes, Blackout 89. Yeah, Blackout 89. Yeah. Anything else you got to add, bro? Nah, man. That's it. Well, if I don't do any other shows for the year, as always, keep up the great work, dude. And, um, you're the man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. I'll see you later. All right, brother. Peace. All right, peace. All right, guys. That was Ben. Make sure to check out Ben on Twitter at Blackout89. And um, you know what? Instead of just taking the commercial break, you know what time it is. Book. We want the gold, sucker. Hulk Hogan, we coming for you, nigga. Yeah, it's that time. I was going to open up talking about the Impact pay-per-view, but you know what? I want to talk about Raw because here's the funny thing with Raw. Raw gives you three hours of quote-unquote wrestling. I've really summed up Raw as maybe an hour and a half of wrestling and then an hour and a half of bullshit. And now the funny thing is that you see the main event, which is about an hour. You see SmackDown, which is two. And you're okay. When I watch Raw some weeks, it's so bad that I stare at the clock and I say to myself, holy shit, only an hour has gone by. Which is, which is as a wrestling fan, it's depressing to see. Just think about it. You, you, you watch, th- back in the day, you'd watch three hours of Raw or you'd watch three hours of Monday Nitro and it was three hours of just craziness and the time would fly so fast that you would look forward to the overrun. When it went into the the eleven oh five hour eleven fifteen hour because that's when the best shit happened. Now it's becoming a, a a question of is it even worth me watching it live? And that's sometimes what's happened. One of the things that you guys may have noticed on the fan page is that sometimes Slick um Slick comes in and he he handles the raw recaps. Um and the and the crazy thing is just real quick um. Ames wished us a happy new year. If I don't do a show, thank you, Ames Bell. Make sure to check out Ames Bell on Twitter. Keep an eye on her. She does a lot of great work for mixed martial arts, not only with her own show, but just for the community at large. So make sure to give Ames a follow on Twitter. A-M-E-B-E-L-L-E. And happy new year if we don't do a show. Um, As for jumping back into what I was saying, wrestling now has become... Where, like I said, Slick comes on and he he does the commentary on the fan page, which a lot of people really, really, really enjoy. And um, we have a lot of fun with that. And usually I get out of work. I get out of work between 7, 7.30 p.m. Eastern, and I try to get home by 8. But there are a lot of times when um, I just I have to stop and eat or I have to run errands and shit. And I know for a fact that I can get home at, say, 8.30, maybe 9, put on Raw, 
watch it, most of it on fast forward and be caught up before the show is over and still do commentary with Slick on the fan page. That's how bullshit it's gotten. So with that said, let's let's talk about Raw this week. Of course, the the big thing, CM Punk, of course, still injured, and Dolph Ziggler comes out, cuts himself a nice little opening promo. Of course, this sets up matches for the evening. Uh, Ziggler and Sheamus, and of course, John Cena against the Big Show. But besides that, we got some really solid matches at some point through the night. Wade Barrett and R-Truth, pretty paint-by-numbers, obviously, setting up their matches for the pay-per-view. I was surprised that they went the way they went. Um, R-Truth with the roll-up on Barrett was interesting to see. And I was kind of bummed with the way it went just because I, in terms of wins and losses going into a pay-per-view, these guys going in there should have maybe a DQ or something and not just have Barrett eat the pinfall. Yeah, you can say, oh, it was a quick roll-up, but it just doesn't do those guys any favors. The elimination tag match had um, the primetime players, the Usos, and the Rhodes, the Rhodes Scholars, of course, accompanied to the ring by a good old Cody Rhodes' fresh mustache and, of course, the Goya brothers. Very enjoyable match, but I knew the outcome. I knew it was going to put over uh, the Rhodes Scholars and Cody's mustache, which, of course, the crowd was chanting that throughout the match, which made me laugh so, so much, only because... You know, Cody Rhodes, if you haven't seen him, he's currently rocking the Tom Selleck uh, Magnum P.I. style mustache. It is it is just terrible on him. But whatever. Movember's over, but clearly he didn't get the memo, but it was worth watching. Now, you come off the hot tag match, and you give us the shittiest diva match ever with Eve and Alicia Fox. Look, I understand that your divas division is in fucking shambles. It is in shambles. Let's not kid ourselves. And I know that you have maybe three or four ladies that you can put out there every week. But if you don't, if you can't give us a passable match, then don't even give me a match. Don't even have the women's title on television. Because it, it's, it's an insult to my fucking intelligence that I have to sit through a match that is completely fucking worthless from start to finish. Worthless. On the flip side, of course, CM Punk... Paul Heyman deliver an epic promo, epic as always, and um, CM Punk, even injured, is a thousand times more entertaining than half of the shit in a Raw broadcast, but that's that's shit we already know. Dolph Ziggler and Sheamus put on a very, very good match. Dolph Ziggler made Sheamus look like a million bucks. Dolph Ziggler, of course, he is a bump machine. He knows how to sell, and he works very well with Sheamus. I think that there's great chemistry there and if if Sheamus were champion and Ziggler and him had a nice little feud it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world I think Ziggler is a guy that just works well with everybody but his skill set not only from a wrestling standpoint but also from a selling standpoint works better with a lot of different guys and Sheamus is a guy that benefited from that tremendously in this match I was very very impressed from start to finish Del Rio and Zack Ryder fucking had a typical paint-by-numbers match, and I can only sum up the outcome with this. Because that's the shit we see with when Zack Ryder's involved. You know, usually a wrestler comes out, and depending on who it is, you know how the match is going to go. Zack Ryder's the guy that when his match comes on, I know for a fact it is a certainty 
that he's going to lose. So at that point, I will get up and either go and take a dump or go downstairs and finish cooking my dinner, come back, watch the outcome of the match, and guess what? Not be shocked in the least. Serious. That's how it goes. AJ and Vicky was the, the screw job angle with the, the, the always popular Brad Maddox. Um, you know, AJ goes fucking crazy, which is being set up to distance her from John Cena. And the basis for that is that John Cena is dating one of the Bella twins, which of course has been seen on TMZ. So WWE figures, how are we going to put him in a relationship with AJ while he has a real life relationship with this chick? It's going to look stupid. Oh, look, somebody's doing their homework. Congratulations. Frankly, I'm tired of as the ring turns with AJ and John. So please put the fucking kibosh on that immediately. As for Raw's match of the night, Kofi Kingston and Antonio Cesaro was tremendous from start to finish. And this was a match that concerned me just because of the huge contrast in styles. But I liked what Jim Ross said in his blog that Kofi Kingston is evolving and he's not just relying on high-flying offense, which is true. There was a lot of great back-and-forth wrestling, well-placed, well-paced, and most importantly, the spots looked really good. It, it really, really worked from start to finish. I think these guys, if they both weren't champions, I wouldn't mind seeing a, a solid feud between them both for the U.S. or Intercontinental Championships because these guys really delivered. Super impressed. Next, we get a terrible Miz TV segment with the Miz dressed up as an extra from the Love Boat. It looked like complete shit. Um, we had a lot of fun, of course, with Cody's mustache, but the segment itself was just poor. I've just been informed that Slick is on the line. Let me bring him on. Slick, my friend, what's going on? What's up, man? You uh, um, you got some some something to state about our good friend Kofi Kingston? Yes, I do. Um, while that was a very good match, I'm like, why do we need to see that again? Well, you Aside know, aside from the fact that there were two other men in the ring the week before, that's the same shit we saw last week when freaking Kofi got his ass beat in the in the fatal four way. Granted, Wade Barrett pinned him that time, but it's like, how many times are we going to see either Wade Barrett or freaking Cesaro beat the shit out of Kofi Kingston? Well, I'll tell I'll tell you what happens with these with, with these matches, and and this partly is just the way that the booking goes. As soon as a pay per view is around the corner, any participants in the matches are going to be thrown in there in some kooky way. You know that it's either going to be the fatal four way, which we saw, fight fight the other guy's opponent, which we saw. Maybe a tag team match, which I'm sure we may, we may still see. That's just, that's just a paint-by-numbers approach that we have. Now, obviously, doing a champions versus champions match has a lot of a lot of implications, but when you give it away on free TV like that, it kind of waters down the outcome. Like, Cesaro winning that match was good, and it obviously helps Cesaro get over, but now it kind of makes Kingston look weak going into the pay-per-view, which is what I said earlier with R-Truth and Wade Barrett, with these guys, every their matches should end in, you know, DQs, interference, throwing the match out because they're brawling, something. But you don't want to have them looking weak going into the pay-per-view because the outcome is going to be obvious. That's exactly what I'm saying, though, because 
What's the name? Kofi ate the finisher last week. Yep, and he ate it this week. He ate the finisher this week. The same shit happened. I'm like, I could, could, could you at least have Kofi get his ass beat and, like, win by DQ or something? Yep, or at least at that point, get ready for the neutralizer and have Wade Barrett come out and hit Cesaro with the elbow just to just to protect his opponent. You know, I, I, I definitely understand your frustration with that, but I've also realized that it's three hours of fucking television, and I think at that point they're pulling fucking names out of a hat as to who they're going to put on television. Because seriously, Del Rio and Zack Ryder, how many fucking times have we seen that match? And every time we see it, we all know, oh, radio to the mid-card, you will go. <laughs> That's how it goes. Let's not kid ourselves. Del Zero and Zack Ryder. You know? And I, and I feel bad because Zack Ryder is, is such a talented guy, and he's built himself up the hard way. He didn't have the, the WWE hype machine behind him. It was him and a webcam and, and just having fun out there. And then they take that, they monetize it to put him back out there to make it their own, and then they just bury him completely. I don't understand. It's like, it's like you go through all this trouble of building the guy up. The guy's practically your social media ambassador. Because th- th- this whole WWE social media thing, it wasn't, it wasn't the, the company's idea. Zack Ryder took advantage of it first. And they only acknowledge that when they feel like it. Yeah, but you know, it wouldn't be the first time a company took one of the employee's ideas and decided it's our idea because he works for us. Yep. And then they just shit on him, which is the worst part. And it's like, when I talk about wins and losses, and I say that certain guys' wins and losses hurt them tremendously. Alberto Del Rio doesn't need to get over with the fans. People hate him as it is. He doesn't need he doesn't need anything else to help that along. So why sacrifice a guy like Zack Ryder, who who's a who's a guy who can come out there and still be competitive, athletic, and sells merchandise? That, that was my problem with with um the case is all it's like I don't know if it's trying to push some kind of some kind of um undefeated streak with Cesaro because I haven't seen him lose lately. But it's like yo, it's like everybody especially Kofi, but it's like with with Kofi Kingston matches lately, this is what happens. He gets his ass beat by some dude that's bigger than him. He mounts an incredible comeback. Then he decides to get on the top rope. He either eats a flying uppercut or someone catches him in midair and beats him, like snaps him in fucking half. <laughs> I'm like, I understand that while he's a very physical dude, he's a small dude. And they want to use that to their, their advantage. Like they, they're, they're like treating him like freaking, like he's Tim Carroll or something. Like, can you stop snapping this guy in half like a fucking twig? That is true. It's it, it's, it's like it's, it's because he's you know coming off his, his association with our truth. They want to clown him. Like, why would you even give him a belt if you're gonna clown the shit out of him every week? Oh, that's how it goes. The the way he beat the Miz for the belt was very very impressive. I mean, the Miz still has a mark on his face from that. And considering this is a staged um, 
sports entertainment, the fact that the Miz still has that mark on his face is something to say. Nope. It's yeah. like, and, and that's other things. And they point it out every week. It's like, the Miz was at WrestleMania two years ago, and now he's doing this TV. It's like, you take your talent and you shove it up your ass. It's true. But that seems to be the name I mean, of the game. The name of the game is, if you're not John Cena, or, or if you're not CM Punk, you're fucked. Well, no, if you're not, put it like this, if you're not a if you're not a guy with a rocket strapped to your back for a push, in other words, if you're not CM Punk, John Cena, Randy Orton, Alberto Del Rio, Damian Sandow, Sheamus, or Cesaro, then your status is questioned. Well, even Kofi, because Kofi still gets a little love, and The Miz does on occasion. Those guys are in the gray. But if you're not the other guys that I just mentioned... You're, the odds of you even having a job after WrestleMania are fucking questionable. It's like, why are they giving Randy Orton a push? The guy, like, the guy gets popped for fucking being a pothead every a week. He does not give a fuck. Yep, he's like, look, I'm gonna smoke this joint, and I'll and I'll I'll be back in an hour. And they're like, uh, you know, Randy Wellness. He'll be like, fuck Wellness, Randy fucking Orton. Fuck yo ring. He takes his fucking paycheck and puts ganja in it. He smokes his fucking herb with, with his fucking paycheck. That's his rolling paper. Yep. But you know what it is? He he sells merchandise. He's a marketable guy. And I think the last time he got popped was because he was using the synthetic weed, which is what Evan Bourne kind of said. He's like, damn, I get popped for weed, and I was smoking weed with a main eventer. <laughs> And they were just like, oh, really? And then our truth got popped. Some crazy shit, man. <laughs> I, like, I just don't get it. That's the other thing. It's like, why are you fucking with these people for weed? I don't know. That's very strange. It's like, it's like, yeah, they abuse painkillers, uh, human growth hormone, uh, thousands of other things that can potentially kill them, but, but don't touch the weed. It's the same shit I say with, 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 the, with MMA. Like it's like, dude, it's not a performance enhancing drug. On the contrary, it should make him a fat piece of shit. But he's not. I don't know, dude. Wrestling. I, mean, is- I, I really next week. I need to see Kofi Kingston beat Wade Barrett or or um, Antonio Cesaro. Well, I think the pay per view is the pay per view this weekend. No, I think the pay per view is next weekend. Hold on, next let me week? look at my let me look at my calendar. No, it's got to be this week. It wouldn't be right before Christmas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sixteenth, sixteenth at the bark. Yeah, so it's this weekend. So either either two things happen. Either Actually, it, ha- it would have to be this weekend after what happened at the end of the show. Right. Either either they're gonna put Kofi's belt on Barrett to push Barrett, or they or the the outcome of this match is gonna is gonna be the 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 indicator of who's gonna get the strong push. Because well, if Kofi it's keeps clear that Kofi Kofi's losing that belt the way the way they they're treating him, I think Kofi's going to have an even better match against Wade Barrett. But of course, the same thing's going to happen. He's going to eat that uppercut. He's going to eat that freaking elbow, and it's going to be over. He'll probably eat two because they'll be like he's eating so many elbows that he's going to kick out of one and and mount a comeback. Then he's going to eat a second one and, and go down. 
Well, I think what may happen is, and this is always something that may happen, you may have they may put the belt on Barrett to give him the rub and then have Kofi in the elimination chamber in February because they always they always tend to put him in the chamber every time. I think they're going to take the um, Intercontinental belt from Kofi and have him take the U.S. title from Cesaro. Which, if they do that, I'll be happy. Well, then, if that's the... I like Cesaro, but I fucking hate his... (laughs) I hate his music. I hate his fucking... His victory pose. I hate everything he does except how, how he wrestles. Oh, yeah, he succeeded. He succeeded in doing his job as a heel... Hook, line, and sinker. I mean, Cesaro is an, a, is an accomplished athlete, and they do a good job with him. I think the crazy thing with him right now is that they're realizing it's like they, they unwrapped the gift that they thought they weren't going to need, and they realize that he has a tremendous upside. That's what's happening with Antonio Cesaro. It's like, all right, we're going to call this guy up. And they're like, hey, he's, he's pretty good in the ring. And then they're like, wow, he's really good in the ring. And then they're like, holy shit, this guy's the fucking man. That's what happened. That's that's Cesaro's that's Cesaro's mo from start to finish. He started. They were like, eh, he's all right. And then they were like, well, fuck, he can kind of wrestle. <laughs> he has impressive moves, and he's a big fucking dude. They need to just try to try to fucking try to feel with him right back and pull right back something else. You never know. That may happen. We shall we shall see so what. Like, go ahead. If you keep sending Ryback at Punk, Punk's just going to get hurt more. It's like, Punk is incredible, but Ryback is just fucking vicious. Well, they're... they're and, go ahead. No, I mean, it's going to be... Apparently, Punk can't take getting snapped in half like a twig as well as Kofi Kingston can. <laughs> well, you know what the thing is? Um, with Ryback, and, and, I, and I understand exactly what, what, what they're doing with Ryback... There's a there's a serious depletion of face of faces like I mean top faces for the company because think about it you thought that it was going to be Sin Cara we see where that boat went Rey Mysterio is is Rey Mysterio is on the last legs of his career so basically your top faces right now are John Cena Sheamus somebody really thought that it was going to be Sin Cara. Well, yeah, because you gotta you have to look at it like this. With Sin Cara, much like with Rey Mysterio, you're taking a guy. Kids love masked wrestlers. Love them. They sell merchandise. They, they, they can do a ton of shit with them. And they don't have to invest a lot in the guy being good on the mic. Very rarely, unless you're Rey. So what happens is they bring Sin Cara in and they know, wow, the crowd's going to be into his high-flying moveset and all this shit. But the problem was that they set him up to fail because they, he didn't learn the WWE style. They had to, wrestlers had to actually adapt to his style, and it doesn't always work. If you notice, depending on the matches that Sin Cara has, he either fucks up moves often, or he doesn't, depending on his opponents. And that's kind of how it works. So when you're grooming these guys, you got to look at, you need your top guy to sell merchandise. You need your top guy that the crowd loves. You need your, your in-between guy, which, which everybody likes. Then, of course, you need the heels to complement that. And in the WWE's case, they have a serious gap because it's the same three guys. It's, you know, Sheamus, Cena, and, and, and Randy. And then on the heel side, you know, they're grooming Ziggler as a top heel, but it's Punk, Vicky, 
Because I'm sorry, Vicky. Vicky's the top heel over anybody else after Punk at this Look. point. And and maybe maybe you can split it between Cesaro and <clears throat> and um what's his face Wade Barrett. And that's the problem. Cesaro and Wade Barrett are the under Cesaro and Wade Barrett should be the top heels under freaking um, Punk. Punk. Because honestly, I would love to see. Cesaro come out and just freaking demolish the big slow. Exactly, but that's what's happening. There's not there. I, I mean, the big show is considered a, a you know one of the top heels at this point, but his work as a bad guy is always suspect. I'm talking about guys that, like right now, if if anybody should jump ahead of anybody on that roster as the best heels going, and that gimmick aside, it's the Shield, because those guys, as soon as they show them in the crowd, the crowd's like, holy shit. The crowd's like, holy shit, something's going to pop off. You you know what I mean? Like, those are guys that get a reaction just by showing up. Meanwhile, yeah. the Big Show has to beat up a chair to get that reaction. I'm just disgusted that a dude that actually had a semblance of a moveset is now reduced to, look, I have the worst finisher in the world. I punch a guy in the face. But that's what. But that. But that's just a, a a way that the Big Show has just been booked. Look at the Miz. The Miz is a tremendously effective bad guy, and now you're slowly trying to turn him. But the problem is that you're putting him in these situations where you're making him the snarky guy. Yeah, they're, they're looking for some kind of replacement for the Rock right now in the Miz. Yeah, because the Miz has. That, that can... Ever since he called um, Heyman the Walrus, you can tell that they're trying to to get some kind of rock persona out of him. Well, the problem is that the Miz is a guy, and and this is the WWE pigeonholing themselves. The WWE likes the Miz because he's good on camera. He has an in with the celebrity set, with the MTV generation, and most importantly, he is. He is very, very dedicated to pleasing the company. They could tell him tomorrow you're going to come out dressed as a clown juggling dildos for your match. No problem. Done. Give me the dildos. Oh, they're all black ones. No problem. You know what I mean? Like, that's that's the Miz's character. So they're rewarding the guy for his hard work. The problem is that in turning him, they're rushing the turn. You know what I mean? You got to do it slowly. Like he should be beefing with Punk because he doesn't want to play second banana to a guy who's managed by a walrus. You get what I'm saying? Like that works. But like his his whole exchange with with um Sandow and and Cody just felt so forced. You can see it. It was just like lame and and hacky. Ravage in the chat, you know, calls him Jericho Light, which is which is a, which is a solid uh, assessment. And, and, you know, I have to agree with that. But the problem is that the WWE is pushing too hard. It's like, dude, let the guy do the turn at his own pace. Trust me, the crowd will come around. Don't force it. They wasted their segment, too, because the shit that he wrote up could have been used to break up those scholars, which, honestly, I, I honestly actually don't want to see. You know, being a fan of very capable of standing on his own, he's excellent by himself. He wrote scholars. I mean, he, 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 he,
Right. No, oh, it's getting there, but it you know that's that that was pretty much raw you know raw in a nutshell. I do I do have to say that 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 Big Show John Cena main event was saved by the fucking Shield because that match was shit. Absolutely, it wasn't even saved by the Shield. It was saved by a fuck your face with a ladder. Pretty much all three of them in the face with a ladder. But that was, (laughs) but that's just great choreography, dude. Because to get that spot on, you know that 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 many factors could have made that go the wrong way. Because those ladders are light as shit, and it could have hit those guys and like legit hurt them. So that was tremendously well done by by all parties involved, which gives me hope that that TLC match with the Shield. And, and um, Ryback and Team Hell No, dude, is probably going to steal the show. Because all those guys know how to work. And for anybody... That Miz stood out, though, it's like last week, he called Heyman a walrus. This week, he said that Sandow said Tony Rose was his Marty Jannetty. I said, oh, shit. Oh, yeah, it was It was very good. It was, it was solid work. I will... The only thing I, I will say with regards to that, is that The Miz has the potential to be the face of that company. But it has to be done judiciously. And I gotta tell the listeners who who take the opportunity to shit on The Shield to do themselves a favor and go on YouTube and look up Dean Ambrose versus Seth Rollins versus Leaki, L-E-A, K-E-E, which is what Roman Reigns was called in FCW. And look at that three-way match. And then get back to me and tell me that those guys can't wrestle. Well, see, the thing is, I'm one of those people that shits on the shield. But, but you're shitting on the gimmick. Ability. Exactly. Thank you. The gimmick is old and it's fucking boring now. Yes. If they show up, you know something's going to happen. But can I see them wrestle individually, please? Well, I'm just tired of them. I'm just tired you know, of them getting that, beat man, up every week. About it. Yes, they, they are. They are incredible. But can we see that in the WWE now? I'm, I'm tired of them. Well, I'm just tired of them getting tired beat up every week. Fucking yeah! I'm tired of them talking. I'm tired of them slap boxing with people. I like I like the videos that you know the crazy Smash TV videos that they do. I don't like that they're the guys that are getting beat up every week. Because it's like, aren't you guys uh, 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 supposed to be a cohesive unit? It should be ass whoopings galore every week. But it's like you start that and then you don't proceed to continue with that. That's what happens. Like, remember when they first came out that that first, those first two weeks, they were just killing everybody. Now it's like, oh, Ryback comes out and just kills them dead. And then they just look like shit and they run away like bitches. Well, that's the thing. They don't get beat up every week. They got beat up the last two weeks because... For like the past three weeks before that, they they put right back through a freaking table. Yep, but that works because it's three dudes. It's logic. If three people jump you, the odds are you may get your ass whooped, you know? But the thing is, it's been that unless there are other people out there, right back going through a table. The only reason why the past two weeks that hasn't happened is because there were other people out there. All right, I could give you that. And like you said, that saved that saved the match because it was boring as shit. Granted, I agree with you that at, at, on Sunday, 
but I, I have two opinions. Either it's going to be that match, the Ryback and Team Hell No versus Seal match, which is undoubtedly going to be an incredible match. But as far as best match, it's going to be either that or, sad to say it, Big Show versus Sheamus. And the only reason why I say that is because one thing that Big Show is good for is taking a hell of a lot of damage. Oh, yeah, you know. Sheamus. He's, I so can that give you that. going to be incredible because they're going to beat the shit out of each other throughout the fucking building. <clears throat> he's going to eat. He's going to eat ninety six chair shots. We know it's coming. We know the Big Show's going to eat like ninety six chair shots and just be just just eat it like like he should. But eh, you know, I mean, I mean, it's it's a solid and 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 we still have the shadow of CM Punk being there, which opens up a couple of different possibilities as well. True. I mean, he, the considering he has a legit injury, I don't really see him getting involved very much. Nope. Unless like he hits somebody from behind and then just beats feet and gets the fuck out of there. Hits him with a crutch. You know somebody's getting hit with a crutch. You know somebody's eating a crutch from either him or Paul Heyman this weekend. I don't give a fuck. Somebody's eating one. But you don't want to take the chance that your champ gets further further damaged. Or we may actually get the confirmation that he's aligned with the shield. Which at this point, I mean, I don't even care anymore. No, I know, but 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 to it, bring it full circle, at you know. This point, being that we'll be able to see them actually wrestle, who cares who they're with anymore? Shit, I personally don't. All I, all all I want to see is Daniel Bryan and Dean Ambrose wrestle for at least five minutes before somebody gets hit with a ladder. That's all I need. Thank you. Because Ambrose like, is the fucking truth. I don't care truth. who wins between Dolph Ziggler and John Cena. Much as I like Cena, I don't care who wins. The only matches I even remotely care about would involve, you know, Kingston, Cesaro. I, I do want to see the Seamus Big Show match just because it's going to be brutal. And the, and the, the freaking the three-on-three. True. Will we I pay for it? No. Oh, we shall find out. All right. Anything else but to I mean, add, my friend? Hopefully, hopefully it's a big card. That's all I'm going to say. There you go. Works for me. Anything else, my friend? No, I'm good. All right, my dude. Let me just go through this Impact, uh, this TNA pay-per-view real quick. Uh, talk to you later. Hi, right, homie. Peace. Peace. That was our very own Slick. Make sure to Follow him on Twitter, MTR Slick. I was going to go into Impact, but I just want to talk about the pay-per-view a little bit. I felt that the pay-per-view as a whole was a, a $60 version of Impact, and I'll tell you why. Um, Kaz and James Storm, they put together to open the match. I, I could have I done with that on Impact. RVD and Kenny King, while it was passable, it did have a, a, a bit of sloppiness to it. Again... Would have been a fine TV match. Joey Ryan, Morgan, and Chavo and Hernandez was surprisingly good. But again, TV match disguised as pay-per-view. Bully Ray and Austin Aries, great match. Terrible finish with Brooke Hogan coming out and, you know, her, her shirt, get her top falls off. It was just, just stupid. And Hogan comes out. And then the low blow finish with Austin Aries getting the pin just ruined a very, very good match. 
The knockouts title match with Tara and Mickey James was surprisingly good. I just I felt that there was too much involvement from Jesse. Jesse uh Jesse Goddard's Mr. Spectacular. He just his involvement just detracted from us from a very, very good match. Kurt Angle, Samoa Joe, and Bischoff and Briscoe took on four guys from Aces and Eight. And um it was very, very paint by numbers. I really thought we were gonna get Garrett Bischoff and Briscoe joining the Aces and Eights or coming out as members of Aces and Eights, but it's gonna happen, I'm telling you. But it was like I said, it was passable, passable at best. Now though the the final match between AJ and Christopher Daniels, holy shit. Was that match amazing? And I was and I was actually happy to see Daniels get the pin with the Styles clash on AJ because it, it just kind of brought that feud full circle and it just helped AJ Styles storyline. Because Daniels is a guy that they really need to do more with, and he should be a guy that should be challenging for the title because he's the complete package. Wrestling, mic work, look, everything. This match reinforced it, and it was probably the best match on the card. Coming a close second, Jeff Hardy and Bobby Roode was equally as good. Of course, it ends with aces and eights involved. Uh, it It turned out that Bobby Roode had paid them to help him win the belt. They ended up beating him up, but... It was it was solid. Those out of all those matches, those two were the best matches. The other ones, like I said, more TV quality. If I had to rank it out of ten, I'd give it a six, and I'd only give it the six based on the last two matches of the card. The rest, very very paint by numbers. Now I was gonna go into Impact, but I realized looking at the clock, it is one o'clock, and we still got to do some gaming and some wrestling. So I will break down Impact. A little bit further on the next show. Anyway, let's get into the gaming news because we've got quite a bit of stuff to discuss on that front. All right, let's open things up for those of you that are looking forward to the next Crisis game. Be advised that Crisis 3 will be dropping February 19th here in the U.S. and February 22nd in Europe. If you pre-order the game, you can get the Predator Bow, Recon Arrow, and the Hunter Nano Suit for multiplayer. Starting at level 5, you'll also get three exclusive dog tags and a digital copy of the original Crisis game. So, if you're a Crisis fan, February 19th is the day for you. Let's get into some MPD numbers. The MPD totals came out for the month of November. Uh, Of course, Black Ops 2 led the way raking in $1 billion in 15 days, setting a record for the series. Halo 4 came in second, and Assassin's Creed was number three for the top three of the MPD numbers for the month of November. Software sales continue to decline. They were down 11% from last year. Also, the industry as a whole is down 11% from last year. Cyber Monday sales, though, were not included because the MPD numbers ended on November 24th. But... I will say this, hardware sales dropped 13%, even though the PS3 had a very, very strong showing. The Wii U sold 425,000 units in seven days. Microsoft sold 1.2 million Xbox 360s, and Nintendo still holds on with the Wii as well, selling 420,000 Wii units. Separate from the Wii U, the Wii U sold 425. Also, they sold 540,000 3DS systems. So... While there is a decline, there's still some solid numbers on the console side of things. 
As for the rest of the MPT totals, Just Dance 4 was number 4, Madden NFL 13 was number 5, Skylanders Giants was number 6, Need for Speed Most Wanted 2012, which I'm actually playing, and I'll have a review for that later on this week, hopefully, is number 7, NBA 2K13 is number 8, WWE 13 is number 9, and FIFA Soccer is number 10. As I mentioned before, Assassin's Creed 3 came in at number 3, and... um. They sold 7 million copies worldwide. The game sold 3.5 million copies in its first week. It is now the fastest selling game Ubisoft has ever had. The first Assassin's Creed sold 2.5 million in the first month of sales. So there you have it. It's very, very crazy. Ubisoft also said that there have been over 3 billion assassinations with players averaging about 429 kills per game. So there you go. Definitely props to the Ubisoft team, Assassin's Creed 3, I did pick that up as well, and I'm going to be probably starting that this over the weekend, and I'll have a review for that. I know I'm a little behind, but real life gets in the way, folks. Um, of course, this past Friday night, I had the pleasure, depending on how you look at it, of sitting through the Spike TV Video Game Awards, and I want to go through some of the awards because I wasn't really happy with some of the awards that were handed out, but I'm going to start kind of from the bottom and work my way up. The most anticipated game title went to Grand Theft Auto 5. I guess I guess it's fine considering some of the other games that have been announced. GTA 5 seems to be the one people are talking about the most. Best DLC honors were awarded to Dawn Guard Elder Scrolls Skyrim, which is fine. I mean Skyrim definitely had some good DLC. I would have given it to Mass Effect also because it had some really really substantial DLC. The best social game honors went to You Don't Know Jack, which, based on the amount of people I see playing it on Facebook, is understandable. The best downloadable game went to The Walking Dead. Best performance by a human female went to Melissa Hutchison as Clementine in The Walking Dead game. Best performance by a human male went to Damian Clark as Handsome Jack in Borderlands 2. The award for best original score went to Journey. The best song in a game was Cities by Beck for Sound Shapes. Best graphics went to Halo 4. Obviously, that's a little questionable considering some of the other games that went out, that that came out at that time, but Halo 4 definitely did have some very nice graphics. Best independent game went to Journey. Best adapted video game went to The Walking Dead. The best fighting game went to Persona 4 Arena, which I'm going to test that theory when I get it from Gamefly this week. I'll keep you guys posted regarding that. Need for Speed Most Wanted got Best Driving Game. I have no problem with that. Best Team Sports Game, definitely NBA 2K13. Best Individual Sports Game, SSX. No problems there. Best Multiplayer Game went to Borderlands 2. I am shocked it did not go to Call of Duty. But I can understand why that happened because Borderlands 2 is a multi-platform game, much like Call of Duty. So I guess the numbers and the votes kind of skewed it in that direction it's fine either way either game would have been fine in my book as for best rpg that went to mass effect well deserved best action adventure game went to dishonored best shooter went to borderlands 2 as well i am shocked it did not go to halo 4 best handheld game went to sound shapes best pc game went to XCOM: enemy unknown which i'm shocked it didn't go to warcraft because warcraft for some reason i've seen a huge resurgence from a lot of people in the game community that are playing Warcraft again. But XCOM has been pretty popular as well. Best Wii U game, 
New Super Mario Brothers U. Shocker, considering it's a first party uh, uh, first party title. Best PS3 game was Journey. Very, very impressed that they went that route. Best Xbox 360 game. What do you think it's going to be? Halo 4. Big shock there. Studio of the Year went to Telltale Games, and Game of the Year went to The Walking Dead. Um, Well-deserved, considering that the amount of work that was put into The Walking Dead and the amount of detail to make people really invest themselves emotionally in the character. So it's an honor that I think was well-deserved because obviously giving it to Halo 4, giving it to Call of Duty, it's it's something we've come to expect. So I think The Walking Dead was, was a solid, solid game. Uh, Studio of the Year, Telltale Games, again, solid. Best Xbox 360 game, questionable, but again... Going to Halo, not fucking shocked. Moving on. Speaking of networks and gaming, uh, G4, which I haven't talked about. I actually heard that they were being rebranded, which I talked a little bit about on um, on the fan page. And I've also talked about it on the show. They're actually going to be officially rebranded as the Esquire channel. Based on a deal worked out between NBC Universal and the Hearst Corporation. So this new channel now is going to have... Some gaming material, but they're also going to add fashion, cooking, and travel as they quote-unquote market to the metrosexual male audience. Let me let me go on a little tangent for a second. The term metrosexual bothers me because it, it, it makes it implied like it's a bad thing to be clean, to take pride in your appearance, to dress nice. I don't call that being metrosexual. I just call that being a man who respects looking good. Seriously. That that moniker I've always felt is just so fucking lame. I I understand, look, if you're a guy and you pluck your eyebrows and you do a chemical peel once a week and and maybe you you do facial, facial exfoliation and all kinds of shit, okay, maybe, maybe you can apply that label, but even still, maybe the guy just wants to not have his face full of blackheads. The guy spends an hour getting ready. Yes, that's an issue. But to label that, I just think it's a, it's a guy who who's a, who who likes to primp. Seriously, I mean, I understand where they're going with the Esquire channel and it's fine. I mean, you know, they have they have other networks for that, but G4 was never about just gaming. Honestly, and I and I'll be and I'll be 100% frank with you guys. Let's say let's say I created a network that catered to all the stuff that's on G4 and Spike TV. This is how it would go down. You would make sure to include plenty of sci-fi, action, uh, comedies, shit like that, that are geared towards the male audience. Seriously. I wouldn't, um, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go and add cops or cheaters or any of that shit. I would add movies, and then in terms of original programming, there would be some gaming programming, definitely. Maybe some, maybe some sort of you know mixed martial arts, professional wrestling, kind of like what Spike TV is doing. I would definitely add something about fashion, but from a more male-oriented perspective. I wouldn't, I wouldn't make it so much about oh, these are those five hundred dollar Christian Louboutin shoes that we recommend you buy for the holiday season. No. I would discuss things like, you know, how how you should wear a suit 
Where are the best places to get suits for different body types? Let's talk about, you know, how to pair shoes with clothes. Because there are a bunch of motherfuckers I know, grown-ass men, that wear the worst shit, thinking it looks good. Those assholes need help. That's what I'm talking about. You want to talk about cooking? Yeah, talk about cooking, like, how to cook the basics. You need a guy like like Aaron McCargo from, from the Food Network, or maybe Nadia G from the Cooking Channel. Somebody that can actually reach out to the male audience, but to market your branding around the quote-unquote metrosexual male audience is just a shitty way of saying that we're going to make it extra pretty and proper and maybe we'll sprinkle in some stuff to keep it relevant. The Esquire channel is going to fail strictly because it's branding itself as a metrosexual network from the onset. I read Esquire, I read Men's Health, I read Muscle and Fitness, I also read Maxim, I also read Playboy. Yes, there are some valid articles in Playboy. Don't get me wrong. There's a bunch of titties in there too, which are always nice to look at. But surprisingly enough, Game Boy's video, I mean Game Boy, Playboy's video game section is pretty solid. Joe Garcia, who, who do, who's a Playboy Playmate, who does some of the stuff for the, uh, you know, the gaming, the gaming segment is solid. And of, and of course, you know, Slick chimes in that you can see better titties for free. But um, it's true, you can. But I'm just talking about in terms of just reaching the male demographic. Complex is another is another magazine that does a good job of that. The worst thing is that Playboy magazine, Complex, that aren't geared towards gamers, sometimes have better gaming content than a fucking network. You had an entire network to reach the gaming community, and, and you just dropped the ball. You drop the ball completely and utterly, which 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 boggles my fucking mind. And Slick says it. Playboy is actually better reading than Spank material. That is true, but that's also because just Playboy is Maxim with with box and boob shots. It's Maxim without that thin layer of clothing. Penthouse, on the other hand, thank you, Slick, for also agreeing. Uh, Penthouse, on the other hand, is is a whole other story. But you know what? We can also talk about over forty and, and and a whole bunch of other just terrible magazines that we all look at and laugh at. But I'm just talking about in general with regards to to G4 and and what they what they failed at doing and how they instantly let Spike TV just take it all from them very very easily. And it's unfortunate because G4 had a market already established and Spike TV just came and took it right out from under them from the gaming shows to their coverage of CES and their coverage of E3 and some of their original programming Spike TV pretty much G out G4 G4 so to see it become the Esquire network whatever it is what it is I'll check it out just because they may have something good on there but I don't even see the Esquire network lasting that long either Moving on, for those of you that have been playing the new Hitman game, make sure to get your money ready because they're releasing an HD Hitman trilogy, which will have remastered versions of Hitman Contracts, Hitman 2, and Hitman Blood Money. You'll be able to pick that up January 29th. It's going to come out on the Xbox 360 and the PS3. So if you are a Hitman fan, you'll be able to, pa- you'll be able to grab those games in January. Last but not least, Dead Space 3, of course, was announced by Electronic Arts and Visceral Games. 
will be available with Connect support for the Xbox 360. So if you are a fan of Dead Space and you have a Connect, you'll be able to use it for um, voice commands, including you know drop in, drop out co op and things of that nature. So the Connect functionality, me personally, I feel it's unnecessary, but I guess they want to add it into Dead Space. I will say this. Using the Connect with Need for Speed Most Wanted is pretty cool because you can actually pull up the races and stuff verbally without having to navigate through the long ass menu that you have to use. So, I, I, in that particular instance, the Connect functionality is worth using. Simple as that. All right. That actually wraps up the gaming segment for this week. Let's get into some entertainment news. A couple of weeks back, I told you guys about the possibility of a Jumanji reboot, which kind of fell through the cracks and we didn't hear nothing about. Well, it looks like it's back in the news as they are starting to put some writers together. Zach Helm, who you guys may know from doing Stranger Than Fiction, and Mr. Megorium's Wonder Emporium will actually be writing the reboot for Jumanji, according to The Hollywood Reporter. So there you go. The Jumanji reboot is moving on as originally planned. A guy who is not getting the credit he deserves and is not getting the roles I think he deserves is Kevin Hart. I like I like Kevin Hart. He's funny. Um, but the funny thing with him is that I've always felt he just never had that moment to break through and hit the mainstream audience. His stand-up is always amusing. Um, his specials, I, I usually watch them when I can. And I always get a lot of laughs, but I've always felt that he's never made it in terms of breaking through for you know for acting seems Warner Brothers is going to give him a shot alongside a guy who is always good at at being a second banana, and that's Will Ferrell. Will Ferrell and Kevin Hart are working on a new movie called Get This, Get Hard. Basically, the movie's about a bank manager, which Will, Will Ferrell is playing, who is wrongly convicted and sentenced to time in a maximum security prison. To prepare himself for his incarceration, he hires the man who washes his car to toughen him up during his last 30 days of freedom, of course, the guy who washes his car is going to be Kevin Hart. So it's going to be interesting to see him and Will Ferrell together. I think it'll work, honestly. Will Ferrell is always good in the in the kind of buddy comedy roles. I mean, I was surprised how enjoyable he was in the other guys alongside Mark Wahlberg. He was, he was very, very, very funny in that. Regardless of my love-hate relationship with the movie as a whole, Will Ferrell definitely was amusing in that. In unnecessary sequel news, Disney is going to pull the trigger on, get this, a sequel to Tim Burton's live-action Alice in Wonderland. Why? I don't know. But get this, there's still no word on whether Burton, Johnny Depp, or Mia Wasikawa are going to return. So, you're going to pull a sequel to a movie that nobody feels even needed one to begin with. Obviously, the fact that the original Alice in Wonderland made over a billion dollars worldwide is definitely something that is probably the motivator for that, but honestly, it's unnecessary. In some Marvel news, 2015 is getting a nice bump when it comes to comic films. Of course, we got the rumored 
uh, Star Wars Episode 7. We also got the rumored Justice League movie and, of course, the Avengers 2. But get this, the reboot of the Fantastic Four will also be in theaters March 6th, 2015 for the brand new Fantastic Four. We shall see how that goes. Box office totals, Skyfall crept back into the number one slot, dethroning Twilight Saga. And of course, now you have Skyfall, $11 million, Rise of the Guardians at number two, Twilight was number three, Lincoln was number four, slowly approaching the $100 million mark, might I add. Life of Pi was number five, Playing for Keeps was number six, Wreck-It Ralph was number seven, Red Dawn was number eight, Flight was number nine, and Killing Em Softly tumbles to number ten. With this weekend's box office numbers in, Skyfall is now the highest grossing Sony Pictures release ever. It surpassed 2007 Spider-Man 3, which made $890 million worldwide. Skyfall has made, get this, $918 million. So 007 definitely still has clout in the box office, dethroning Spider-Man 3 as Sony's top grossing film. Another unnecessary sequel that I had to bring to your attention is the sequel to Salt. They are pulling the the trigger on that as well. We are getting a sequel to Salt with Angelina Jolie. Um, Basically, what's going on is that they've brought in a new writer, Becky Johnston, who did um, Seven Years in Tibet. She's going to be rewriting Kurt Wimmer's script for the sequel. So Angelina Jolie, of course, comes back. But honestly, Salt was... A, a really enjoyable movie for me that I just felt did not need a, it didn't need a sequel in my opinion. The ending, yeah, it was open ended, but it was open ended in such a way that I honestly had no interest in even checking out a sequel. There was nothing that got me hyped at a potential sequel whatsoever. It just ended, and I was like, all right, it was good. Simple as that. I do have to agree with what Slick said. The Matrix did not need any sequels. I agree. I agree. The Matrix, first one, leave it at that. Ah, yes, he did. Slick mentions in the chat that the IMAX ticket price definitely had something to do with Skyfall doing good. I'm not disputing that, but that movie was amazing in IMAX. Gotta give the devil its due. Angry Birds, of course, we know has just been taking over not only from a retail standpoint, but also from a handheld portable gaming standpoint. Well, guess what? Box office time as well. Coming soon reports that John Cohen from Despicable Me will be producing the Angry Birds movie from Rovio Entertainment. So be on the lookout for that. And it's expected to arrive in the summer of 2016. So there you go. Angry Birds getting the box office treatment. I'm surprised it took this long. Here, here's a cash grab in the most blatant sense. Top Gun will be re-released in IMAX 3D on February 8th, 2013. It's going to be a limited engagement in IMAX, which will be released for six days. This is the first time the film has been released in IMAX and in 3D. Originally, Top Gun earned $350 million worldwide after it was released. Top Gun is also going to be released in Blu-ray 3D and Blu-ray 2D in a full high-definition remaster. It's going to include a documentary, some behind-the-scenes featurettes, but why are you releasing it in IMAX? Why are you going to make people pay $20-something to go see a movie from 
like, what was it, 1986, 87? Fuck. Let me me check, because now, now I'm curious when the hell Top Gun came out. Because, yeah, 1986, yeah, I was six years old when that came out. So you want me to go and pay... 20 something dollars to see a movie from 1986. Yeah, Hollywood, you guys can go fuck yourselves. Last two bits of entertainment news to wrap things up. Colton Haynes, who you guys may know from Teen Wolf and Andrea shared this on the fan page, will be joining the cast of the CW's Arrow. He will be playing Green Arrow's sidekick, Roy Harper. Most of you may know Roy Harper because he was also speedy. He also went by Arsenal and Red Arrow. As of right now, it appears that he is being uh, cast as a love interest for Oliver Queen's sister, Thea. So we shall see if he does indeed become Green Arrow's sidekick. I have to admit, Arrow has become quite enjoyable. Not a steaming pile of shit like Smallville got. It, it definitely has its its negatives, but it's not super terrible. That's all I gotta say. Last but not least... We are moving forward with the Tron sequel. Garrett Hedlund is returning to the Tron franchise. Nextmovie.com confirmed that Hedlund will be reprising his role as Sam Flynn for the third film. So there you go. We will be getting the third in the Tron series. Hopefully we will wrap things up nicely and we can put an end to that. Not to say that Tron Legacy was awesome, wasn't bad because it was. Tron Legacy was amazing and super enjoyable, but... I think that the gap between films is definitely going to hurt it. But now that it's been confirmed, we shall see what happens. I honestly am looking forward to it because the effects, like I said, in Tron Legacy were just amazing. Ravage in the chat says that there better be some heroin abuse with uh, Roy Harper. I agree. Definitely. Speedy needs to be a drug addict at least for a couple of episodes. Got to keep it up with the, with the books, guys. Got to keep it up with the books. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that actually wraps up my take radio for this week. Like I said, we may do a show next Wednesday, but we may not. In the event that we don't, I'd like to take this opportunity to, on behalf of myself and our staff, wish you guys happy holidays, Merry Christmas, happy Kwanzaa, happy Hanukkah, Merry Festivus, whatever the fuck you guys celebrate. We appreciate everything you guys have done for us in 2012. Listening, supporting, retweeting, liking, doing everything possible to get the show out there. We do appreciate it. Here's to a successful 2013. We look to do big things next year. And it's all possible because of you guys, the listeners. As much as I beat you up and give you guys a hard time, I love each and every one of you assholes. (laughs) I really do. Love you guys. Anyway, that's it. MTR 166 is in the can. Time to get out of here. If you got any questions, concerns, you can always listen to, you can always email me at mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. In terms of social media, you can find us on Twitter at mytakeradio, on MySpace, which I, I don't even go there. <laughs> of course, become a fan on our Facebook fan page. You can also ask us questions via Formspring. Last but not least, add us to your circle on Google+. We're doing a lot of cool stuff there. And of course, if you want to get the best MTR benefits, make sure to pick up the My Take Radio app available for Android and iOS devices. It's $1.99. Make sure to use that iTunes gift card you get for the holidays and pick up the MTR app. You not only get episodes of the show in 96K stereo, but you get access to original content, including My Take Radio Beyond the Behind, excuse me, 
My Take Radio Beyond the Mic and My Take Radio Behind the Mic. And of course, the Minority Film Report. You get mobile wallpapers and tons of other stuff as well. Also, look for us on YouTube, My Take Radio TV. Get access to the shows there and some of the other video content we put up. Last but not least, you can also listen to the show via Stitcher. Make sure to download the Stitcher app, enter MTR as the promo code, and you can get a $100 gift card courtesy of Stitcher and MTR. Of course, you can also use the Zoom Marketplace, Blog Talk Radio, TuneIn Radio, and iTunes. If you're getting the show via iTunes, please take a moment and rate the show. We would really, really, really appreciate it. All right, guys, we are out of here. See you guys next week or next year. Take your choice.
Thank you for using Blog Talk Radio. Goodbye.